Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, December 10th, 2015. do something a little different today. Yeah, I'll give you the details on that in a second here. I'm kind of grooving out. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to open up our Bibles. Yep, and compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, and prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles, and apostolettes to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says, or if, well, they're twisting God's Word and generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. Now, like I said at the opening of the program, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh... I've invited Steve Kozar. That's right, Steve Kozar of the uh, Steve Kozar and the Messed Up Church Band, the guy who actually did the uh, new uh, rendition of our opening music and closing music here at Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, Stephen Kozar. Uh, he is an artist, and he's also the new curator of the Museum of Idolatry. And I've invited him on to kind of talk. You know, we're just gonna have one of those conversations, see where it goes. Talk about the uh, the new museum of idolatry, which launched today, and uh, and also you know talk about his artwork and talk about his story a little bit. You know he comes out of evangelicalism, and uh, God has opened his eyes is a good way to put it, so that he can properly understand law and gospel, sin, grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, and talk about you know uh, some of the articles he's written at his uh, blog entitled the uh, the messed up church. So that is what we'll be doing with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And then in hour number two, uh, which it'll be like well into hour number two, we're going to listen to, it's not a sermon, but we're going to listen to a speech delivered by Alex Kendrick. Alex Kendrick of um, uh, Courageous. Alex Kendrick of, well, of The War Room. Alex Kendrick of like the Kendrick brothers who are responsible for some of these movies, you know, like Fireproof and stuff like that. And uh, we're going to listen to his theology. We're going to listen to his theology. It's not a sermon, so obviously he's not going to, you know, whip out God's word and, and you know, try to preach a sermon. This was an event uh, called the Celebration of Life concert that was held in January of 2014 at Hickory Grove Baptist Church 
in uh, North Carolina. And uh, I just think it's important for you to kind of start to see, you know, this will be one of those ones where it's similar to the Carl Lentz segment that we did. It's right-ish. There's something off here, you know, kind of confusion of law and gospel going on and some weird theology that kind of smells. Hang on. Yeah, yes, we recently played this here in the studio. You can still have that kind of NAR thing going on here. It just feels like, smells like there's there's like undertones and even overtones uh, that are akin to what we see kind of in the NAR evangelical world. So that will make up today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And uh, since we're going to begin with our interview with Stephen Kozar, we'll get right to it. Here we go. All right, on the line I have Steve Kozar, and uh, he is the blogger responsible for the uh, the website that I link to often nowadays, entitled The Messed Up Church. Steve Kozar, you may that name name may sound familiar to you. Uh, recently, we've had an upgrade in our uh, in our music here for Fighting for the Faith, and uh, that was recorded by uh, Steve Kozar and the Messed Up Church Band. And uh, he is now, you know, this, there's a lot of Steve Kozar you're going to be hearing about. He has now agreed, you know, poor, poor guy, foolishly, to step in to my shoes and become the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of other things here. Steve, thanks for coming on Fighting for the Faith. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, right out of the shoot. Uh, love the uh, the new music for uh, Fighting for the Faith. And uh Appreciate the uh, the work that you and the, the messed up church band has done to uh, to give us an up- <laughs> <laughs> upgrade. To- <laughs> Those guys, I'm telling you, Chris, <laughs> they really they went uh, they went overboard. They just worked so many hours on on all their parts. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> now we're we're snickering, but uh, the reality you played all the instruments. You 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 is the messed up church band. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Okay. I've got I've got um, years of playing instruments, and I just thought it'd be really fun to just do it myself in my basement here with a, just a smattering of instruments and just barely enough equipment to make make it work. And uh, I'm I'm a, a recovering perfectionist, so I, I listen to it every time, and I go, ah, I could have done that better, but it, it was really fun. And I, every time I heard the old one, I, I was thinking, man. That drum machine just drives me nuts. I got to do something about this. All right, I've so, got to fix this. So, so you you played drums on that. You played the guitar. You 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 did your own. You laid down your own bass track, and you played harmonica on it. Yep. Yep. All right. Yeah, I'm a I'm a artist, a musician, and a writer. I'm absolutely no good to the world. Well, you know, I, 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 hmm, I, I'm beginning to think that my sanctification may not even begin to approach the levels that you're able to achieve. And uh, the reason I say that, I mean, if you heard the Mark Batterson, uh, uh, you know, segment we did a few days ago, where (laughs) Batterson was basically saying, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your mind means you have to do it with both sides of your brain. And I, I, I was just convicted. I, I, I literally, oh, felt, you know, yeah. yeah, I didn't hear that whole thing. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know me. I'm so analytical, and you know that uh, I have. I, I think I neglect, you know, the creative side of my brain, and so I must not be loving the Lord with all of That's my mind. That's why I'm here, Chris. Yeah. I'm here to make up for that. Yeah, I, yeah. No, actually, I'm, I'm not the typical artist in that I, I use my analytical, logical side a lot, and. I, I don't. I don't think that the um, 
dichotomy that you always hear about. You know, there's the creative people and then there's the logical people, and they're they're just diametrically opposed to each other. I I don't I don't see that in my own life. I don't I don't think that's a healthy way to look at things anyway. Yeah, because you know, brain well, anatomy. It, you know, understanding brain anatomy is an important part of true biblical <laughs> sanctification. You know, well, I can just guess what he's getting at because all these guys who do these ridiculous things in the name of church say that they're being creative, you know, and you hear their parishioners talking about, he's so creative. And, you know, I, I just want to say, yeah, but it's stupid. You can be creative and stupid. You can be creative and ridiculous. You can be creative and heretical. Yeah. So creativity in and of itself is, it's just one part of the puzzle and it's not necessarily the best one. So. Right. Now you have an interesting story. I, I mean, uh, we linked to one of your blog posts uh, recently where you basically compare what's going on in the evangelical big box churches to Amway. And mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and I, I think we melted down your server for a little bit of time. You ha- you got a ton of traffic on that. I uh, still do. It's still getting hits every day. I'm getting uh, hundreds and hundreds of hits on it every day. So okay. okay. really struck a chord. Right. It, and it, actually, you know what happened was when um, we were – Approaching the deadline of starting the new website, I was frantically trying to write my life story for another blog that I, I put on hold for right now, but it's going to be uh, up and linked to the, the pirate site as soon as I'm done with it. But uh-huh. in writing my life story, I was trying to use various parts of my story to explain uh, what I learned along the way and, and what led me to this point where I am now. Uh-huh. And one of the parts of that story was the chapter of our lives where we were in Anway and we were uh, experiencing the dream destiny theology, you know, years before it really entered the church. And so I liked that part so much that I turned it into its own separate posting. And then, yeah, it just took off. And uh, as I was writing it, I'm going, wow, I knew there were some similarities, but it's uncanny. How yeah. similar they are. It, it, I could I could have written, you know, three times more material. I was actually trying to be concise, which is what I normally do. Otherwise, people don't read stuff. Right. Too much now, you, you know, having spent time in Amway, uh, you know, and we've talked about this in person, is that, uh, you know, and I said, well, you know, Amway, they sell soap. And you corrected me on that. What is it that Amway really apparently sells? Well, there's two sides to it. Amway is at least technically on paper, legally, they are a company that, that produces products and they offer an opportunity to IBOs, independent business operators, who are supposed to be the salespeople who can create their own networks of other salespeople. So what's actually developed, though, is that those independent business owners, the IBOs, have developed sales uh, tools to, you know, at least publicly, the purpose of all these tools is to help you grow your business, to train you. You know, and everybody needs training in whatever business you're in, so that sounds very legitimate. But the truth is the training tools are where they're making their actual money. Right. So the Amway movement of products is, is actually not the main component. There's a hidden component that nobody talks about. In fact, it was bizarre, but just the cover story in Christianity Today magazine this month, it came out literally the same week as my article, just by coincidence. It, it just totally fails to mention the hidden tool business. And so when you're in, most Amway businesses have a tool business, which is completely separate from the Amway business, but it's also connected. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it's a part of the upline. The guy who sponsored you was sponsored by a guy who was sponsored by a guy who was sponsored by a guy. Somewhere up there, he has this tool business where he makes money selling tapes and CDs and tickets to functions. So uh, anyway, the meetings 
the, the really big meetings that they have are very similar to what's happening in the seeker-friendly megachurches. Yeah. People want to believe. They want to uh, have hope for their future. And in the church, they, they want to believe that God's going to do some great thing in their life, which is not the actual purpose of the gospel. The right. actual purpose of the gospel is to save us from the punishment we deserve for our sin. Right. They leave that part out. And they turn it into, you know, God wants you to do great things. And you just need to follow whatever it is we're telling you this week so that he can do those great things. And then all the other sermons are, well, we know that God hasn't done those great things like we said. And now we're going to give you the sermon to explain what you need to do a little bit differently so you can now have those great things happen in your life. It's just just this hamster wheel. And Amway's the same way. You're an Amway and you're not making money, so you go to the next function and they're like, we know you're not making money yet, but we're going to get you all fired up about making money and just stay with it. It's just the same thing, but it doesn't actually work. Right. God is not giving people their dreams, not because he hates them or because, you know, he, he can't. That's not the purpose of Christianity. I mean, sometimes good things happen. I'm very, very blessed. I'm not saying that we don't have good things that happen that we are at times blessed by God, but that is not the central component of what it means to be a Christian. Right, exactly. Like I need to teach you theology, right? Well, you know, I'm 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 just enjoying hearing uh, good theology from somebody other than myself. Um, <laughs> well, thanks. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, so in Amway, they're kind of selling the dream. You know, it's it's selling not... the dream. They actually use that phrase. Okay. When you go to present the Amway business opportunity, you don't tell them all about how great Amway is. Right. You say Amway is just a, a company that does a good job of producing products that we can then turn around and. Sell. But really, what this meeting is about right now, Chris, we're going to be honest. It's about your future and your family. You know, what's, what's going to happen when your kids need to go to college? Are you prepared for that? And it's kind of like selling insurance. You, you're, you're telling them about the bad things that may happen in the future if you don't have enough money, or you're promoting the great things that could happen in the future if you have a lot more money, which is dream building. Right. And we actually went, we would take the group and go and drive to a car dealership or a place where they had motorhomes or uh, boats or whatever, and they would encourage you to get excited about something that you've never had. Because, you know, Chris, if you don't get excited about something in the future, you just don't know what you're missing. So they teach, you, they, they teach you how to do vision boarding without a vision board? Well, the vision board was part of it, too. They, okay. That was, we, we actually went through a phase. I'm so embarrassed about this. Oh, my gosh. I should have known better. But, yeah, we had pictures on our refrigerator of the – the car we wanted or whatever. And, yeah. and it's it's the same thing that's going on all over the place. And the fact that it's entered the church is really to the, the shame of especially the American evangelical churches. See, you, see if, you know, if you don't put a picture of, you know, like a BMW on your fridge, you're going to end up with an Aerostar. You know, that's how that yeah. works. You know, that is a sad reality. <laughs> and you yeah. picked the Aerostar. <laughs> We've got a wind star, so that was a slight, um, you know, upgrade from the. Well, yeah, that was that was a sleeker, more aerodynamic. Yeah, yeah. yeah the aero star. I, I remember that was the bread box on wheels. You know, so yep. uh, <laughs> remember the gremlin. <laughs> I do the yeah, gremlin and, and the, the javelin and the pacer. The pacer. The pacer. That's right. Yes, uh, that that would be. I the, remember when we used to have pacers. That's right. The upside down fishbowl on wheels. But anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I miss AMC cars. Anyway, that's another <laughs> thing altogether. Hey, go to a junk par- junkyard near you. I'm sure you'll find. Them. I yeah. In fact, every probably every single one of them is now there. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it makes you wonder. I mean, are there like pacer car clubs out there? I'm off topic. I bet there are. Yeah, that would be hilarious. I mean, a group of guys that gets together, you know, to show off the latest mods that they put on their pacer. You There's know. somebody right now listening to this show, and, and they're going, "I can't believe he doesn't know about our club." I'm gonna send him an email. <laughs> Harshly worded one at that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Dear Chris, as much as I love your show, I'm offended by what you said about the pacer. Actually, when I, when I was a kid, I thought the Pacer was a really cool car. I didn't think it was ugly. I thought it was really cool. I never I thought mean, it was cool. I mean, there are certain cars that are not cool. The Pinto, the Pacer, yeah, the, the Duster, you know, I mean, and the Aerostar. Fall, the, 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 these are eyesores, you know, for me. And, you know, I'm glad that I Well, thankfully, see, they're all gone now. Yes, that's right. You, know, you don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't Phew. have to. Whew, you know, I don't have to worry about running into one of those or running into a you know a full grown male T Rex or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, All right, we're way off topic, but okay. So, um, so you you know, dream building that is I that's a term. It's like I heard you say it, it's like okay, I'm gonna have to you know hang on to this because I, I I've noticed especially over the past year and a half, two years. The growing emphasis in so many of these big box churches, um, it, it, it's you, you can really boil it down to you know dream building, and and they've become kind of like you know extensions of Amway, but they don't sell Amway products or anything. They've no. got their own brand of tools and steps and principles and techniques, uh, yeah. and, and you know and even books written by uh, vision casting leaders to all help you achieve that that dream and help you build towards it. And yeah, that has like nothing whatsoever to do. You don't even need a crucified and risen savior for that. You know, exactly. Exactly. You don't, you don't need Christianity. They're using, um, you know, these, these worldly ideas to get people to stay in church and keep attending and writing those tithing checks. Right. It, it really is as simple as that. I, I just listened to the most recent, I don't know if it was you or if it was on issues, et cetera, but it was a, um, a Rick Warren sermon. And he just starts right off the bat by talking about success. There's, there's just this underlying assumption in all of these sermons. Yeah. Well, of course, the purpose of Christianity is for you to have success and to be purposeful or whatever. They never prove it. They just assume it, and then they proof text whatever verses that they do use. It just I, I, I want I – want, I'm so passionate about – what what you're doing and and I want to help so much because I just every day I can't turn it off my brain is constantly thinking about how can I get people to see this right how can I shake people up how can I look at something in such a way just you know tilt it a little bit so that they see it from a different angle and now the light bulb goes off and they go oh my gosh you're right I can't believe it yeah well and yeah in, is, in the process of doing that you're going to get a lot of people who are going to be throwing rocks at you you know it's like, how dare you say that this man's not yeah. teaching me the truth you know you know, it's like, and and it's weird because when you under when you kind of study, you know, like you know, ancient religions, you know, like we'll talk about those who in the in the Mediterranean world followed the pantheon of gods, either the you know the Greek gods or the Romanized version of it. Um, that you know, the, the whole purpose of the deities supposedly, and and 
having a patron deity that you worshiped and served was, you know, you scratch this God's back and do what he, mm-hmm. you know, he or he, she wants you to do. And, you know, and then they'll, they'll alleviate the problems that you have. You know, you having a love problem. Well, Aphrodite's your, is going to help you out there. You, you got a problem with wealth and, and uh, fortune. You know, we got a God for that. In fact, they, the, the, uh, the ancient world's, uh, you know, idea and understanding of, you know, the function of the gods, there was even a God who could, you know, if with the right amount of money donated at its temple could uh, get rid of mold in your home. So you had the God of mold elimination, you know, and, you know, now we have just businesses that do that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but I mean, well, you know, the, the, um, I, I call it the Christian consulting class has developed to try and help explain all the anomalies in that belief system. Because if you if you instruct people this way, it actually doesn't pan out in real life. Right. That's not reality. So then you have this whole group of teachers and their teachings that explain, well, the reason you haven't gotten your dreams yet is because you need to do this more or God's trying to shape your character you know, all, there's all these little side avenues, and, I, and I'm imagining that in the days of these uh, pagan religions, there were probably uh, the experts who, you know, when you prayed to God and God is so-and-so and you didn't get what you wanted, there was somebody there who stepped in to explain why it didn't quite work out like they said it would. And it always ended up being your fault. I mean, you didn't have enough faith, you know, or, oh, you, oh, yeah, see, well, you probably have unconfessed sin in your life. Or, you know, just start rattling off all of the excuses for why you didn't get the result that you were promised, you know. You know, it's, yep. and, um, and the reality of the situation is, is that the reason you get, didn't get the result you were promised is because God never made that promise. Exactly. Yeah. That, and that is such a freeing thing to understand. My my wife, Paulette, and I both, we've been just so free from all the false teaching in the past few years that we've been on this journey. And it just feels great. Not that we don't, we don't have expectations of God. And that's what people will always say. Well, you, you're just uh, you know dumbing down your faith. You're just reducing your expectations. I don't know how many times I've heard sermons where the guy's up front saying, we have to um, increase our expectations of God. The problem is us. We we don't expect enough of Him. Yeah, the, the your like, oh, God oh. is too small theology. Yes, and then you 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 embarrass yourself by you know requesting that God does more and more and more, and you and, and you got to be really fervent, and you've got to express it with enough emotion, and it really helps if you have some tears, and then you still don't get what you were promised. At, at a point, you either give up out of despair. You know, or or you become delusional. Right. You actually you make excuses for the fact that your belief system isn't working at all, and it's not even compatible with the scriptures that you pretend to uphold. Or worse, you get enough people following you so that you have enough money that you can now create the illusion that hey, look, it worked, and it worked for me. I did all the right steps. I I prayed all the right prayers. I believed all the right things. And now There's look at my life. There's a that in the Amway business, actually. Oh, really? When when somebody would say, well, how's it working for you? You know, when you would try to sign people up, that was a very common question. And, and you would always have a, an arsenal of answers, none of which were completely honest, because the honest answer was, well, I'm not making any money. You know, that's why I'm trying to get you in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or, or I'm making such a small amount of money because I have such a small amount of product flow that it's getting eaten up by all my tool costs and traveling expenses. So, you, you know, you very rarely make any real profit. But but you had a way to compensate for that. You know, you'd say, well, you know, it, it um, 
if I have to be the one person that proves that it works, then it's not duplicatable. So whether I'm making money or not is really not the question. The question is, do you want to have your dreams or not? Because it's really about what you do. Right. So that's, that's, the psychology behind that was very clever. So, you know, um, when we're dealing with false teachers, we're dealing with incredible manipulators. Right. And as, and as long as people don't see that, it, it almost is impossible to talk to them in a way that produces results. Yeah. And then and, and they've been um, covered over with this idea that you can't ever accuse somebody of being a false teacher because that would be mean and unfair and unloving and hateful. So as long as you have this this fog, you just accept all this false teaching and it, it ruins your life. So, yeah, I'm, I'm 51, almost 52, and I'm just committing the rest of my life to, to trying to root these guys out and to expose them and to help free people and explain the true gospel because it, it's, it's so much better. It's not even close. Right. I mean, the real gospel is so comforting and the promises are so amazing. Um, and it has nothing and to simple. do, yeah, right. It has every, it hasn't anything to do with dream building. It has everything nothing. to do with denying yourself. It has everything to do with confessing that you're a sinner and receiving gifts from God, the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. All of this is going away. You know, there's nothing that you are looking at touching that is going to be here uh, you know, ultimately tomorrow and tomorrow, you know, you know, is the long, long haul. Um, you know, when Christ returns, all of this is going up in smoke, you know? Yep. And so it's like, you know, why would I want to focus on all things temporal and think that Christ is all about solving my problems temporal? He, it is important for us to ask God to assist us. And pray to get through the difficulties that we have and even fr pray from him that he would intervene and, and alleviate our, our, our trials or solve them. But if he chooses yeah. not to, that becomes the crosses that we bear. And, um, you know, I've lived long enough in this life that the, you know, the idealism of my 20s has given way to the reality of, uh, you know, my near I'm not quite 50 yet, but I'm at the tail end of my 40s. And, you know, you just, you know, you get to this point and you're, you've been knocked around by life far too much to, you know, to, to really buy into this stuff. And so you talk about these guys who are, are master manipulators. Now, I kind of see them in two different groups. You know, uh, as as I review different sermons and I, you know, I get yeah. a lot of requests. I get a lot of requests from people saying, could you review this guy? Could you review right. that guy? And sometimes I don't end up reviewing some of the people that they pitch to me for the very reason that um, that person is intentionally trying to mimic and ape, you know, uh, you know, somebody else who does it far better. And so you, you've got, you, you've got a whole class of people who are like the best, most charismatic, best delivery these are the guys who are truly the manipulators out there, and they've got chops. And then you have a whole group of people who, well, that guy has to be a, a man of God, so we're going to build our church, and I'm going, and, and the vision casting leader of our church is going to do everything he can to be just like Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, uh, Perry Noble, or you know, name the person. And so, in a situation like that, you have the cheap knockoff, or you have the original, and it's best to go after the original, the way I look at it. Um, the, you mm -hmm. know, the cheap knockoffs are always going to be clunky at it 
and never quite pull it off. And in some sense, you can almost make the argument, these guys are true believers of the person they're trying to mimic. Whereas the person that they're mimicking, I, I, I oftentimes wonder, you know, if those guys are like intentionally know that none of this stuff works. It's just, right. it's, it's made them wealthy and, and, uh, you know, and affluent, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I mean, we're delving into the psychology of people that we don't really know. So we can only take it so far, but I do wonder often, why do these people do this? Why, why, why don't they just read the Bible and actually preach what, what, what is actually in the Bible? That, that would be nice. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break, and we come back. The balance of my interview with uh, Stephen Kozar, the uh, new curator of the Museum of Idolatry and also the blogger from the Messed Up Church. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Every summer for the past 15 years, youth have been immersed in the waters of their baptism at Higher Things Conferences. On January 2nd, we invite college students and young adults to the campus of Concordia University, Chicago for an evening spent drinking from the fire hose of the gospel. This unique Higher Things Lutheran Unconference will begin with a service of vespers and end with evening prayer. In between, seven incredible Lutheran pastors will take the stage for just 20 minutes each. A sit-down dinner will be provided with a Q&A session with a speaker panel. Registration is just $100 per person. Go to higherthings.org for more information. That's higherthings.org. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to, well, become supremely dissatisfied with your church, like Stephen Kozar did his. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, Fighting for the Faith. Dot com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons are right there all over the page. You can see several different copies of them. And uh, one of them says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. Well, you decide. We have different ranks, so you can choose your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at 995. In fact, I had recently somebody told me there's many things I've been called in my life, and until... Just a couple of weeks ago, Powder Monkey was never one of them. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, lowest rank in our crew is Powder Monkey at nine ninety five a month, and then after that, Gunner's Mate twenty four ninety five a month, Master Gunner forty nine ninety five a month, Quartermaster at ninety nine ninety five a month. We're in the hunt right now to try to bring on the equivalent of six hundred new Powder Monkeys so that we can really truly build out Phase Two of the. Uh, uh, Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio website. Now we've got the Museum of Idolatry moved over, and uh, and we have somebody to actually uh, curate that. As you're listening in our uh, to our uh, interview, you're finding that out. But you know, we truly can't do what we are doing without you. We can't even you know really expand into the next phase without the the more crew members joining up and making it possible for us to get the support staff that we need to do the next things. 
And uh, so uh, if you don't already support us, visit our website and do so. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of my interview recorded earlier today with Stephen Kozar, the new curator of the Museum of Idolatry and the blogger of the Messed Up Church blog. Here we go. Why, why don't they just read the Bible and actually preach what, what, is, what is actually in the Bible? That, that would be nice. Yeah. That would be a lot easier, actually. Right, right. I but mean, you can't get rich that way, I guess. That's the bottom line. Yep. And when, you know, when I reviewed uh, Furtick's uh, Christmas sermon from last year, we, did, we took a, a piece of it. And it doesn't get any better even after that. But, um, you know, I mean, you know, I played it for my daughter. And my daughter looked at me and she said, Dad, you know, he has to know that he's twisting God's word. She says there's no way he could have said the things he said without knowing that he made an intentional decision to take the focus off of Christ and just engage in this narcissistic nonsense and and play to these people's sinful natures. I mean, this— and you know, and I tend to agree with her. I mean, I, you know, it's so funny that you would say that because I'm one of the things I I wrote and I will add more to, but I, I think I'm on number eight now, and it's the most abused and misused Bible verses that you're constantly having to refer to. We don't have it up on the site yet. There's a bunch of stuff that's not on the site yet because we just don't have enough time and money to make it all happen yet. But I'm going through these verses and I'm looking at them, and and it's so painfully obvious that the meaning that's attributed to them by these false teachers is wrong. Yeah. It, it, it takes you really five minutes. You just read the thing and you go, well, that's, that's totally different than what everybody says it means. They must know this. Yep. And, and they're deliberately choosing to, you know, to give it this false meaning because it, it goes along with what they're trying to teach. I think the worst one really, uh, and there's so many bad ones, <laughs> but, but Rick Warren to me is almost the scariest dude out of all of them. Yeah. Because, he doesn't come across as a word of faith heretic or, or any of that, but he teaches the same stuff. He misuses the same verses. Yep. And he just, he, he kind of has that, ah, shucks kind of, you know, yep. uh, you know, everyday Joe kind of thing vibe going on. But I've met and I've spoken with Rick Warren. I had a you know multi-hour long conversation with him a few years back. Was that when you were with uh, Bob Dwayne? Yeah, that's when I was with Bob Dwayne. We both were invited you know, to Saddleback, and we both showed up, and and we had a very long conversation with him. And huh. and I, I I can say with with I mean without any equivocation that Rick Warren is the most intelligent man I've ever met in my life. And, seriously? No, seriously, he is not ah shucks. He is, what about me, Chris? I thought I was the most intelligent person you ever met. You're like the 32nd, 30, maybe okay. maybe 50th most. But anyway. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm serious about Rick, though. I mean, with hands down, he is the most intelligent man that I have ever met. And so that makes me even more afraid of him. Right, because the, the, the aw shucks kind of everyday Joe kind of thing that he puts out there, that's not him. Okay, you get him backstage and you're talking to him. The guy is, you know, and if he were in politics, they would say he's a wonk. All right. Yeah. He reads just about everything he can get his hands on. And he is extremely smart. I would if I had to, like, peg his intelligence, 
I would say he's easily 10, 15 points above genius. And, um, and the guy is just, I mean, he picks up on subtlety and nuance and he can talk about all, a whole range of topics, not on the surface. He can talk about them in a way where he drills down hard into the content and, uh, and, you know, and shows a very, very, uh, a good understanding of like many, many, many topics. And, you know, after uh, Bob Dway and I met with him, uh, that was one of the things we talked about. And it's like, we both came to kind of the same conclusion. This man is way more dangerous than most people even realize, because that means none of this stuff that he's doing, all of this Bible twisting that he's doing, ripping things out of con that, that is 100% on purpose. He knows exactly what he's doing. The, the, he's, he has a goal in mind and everything he does is is heading towards whatever that goal or agenda is of his and his his agenda has nothing to do with making disciples who truly rightly understand God's word and the true gospel he has a different agenda altogether man i um yeah i'm i don't like hearing that to be honest I, I would much prefer to think, you know, oh, gosh, he means well. He's just mistaken. But there comes a point where we have to face reality. Yeah. And that's that's a really hard thing. I, I, I think about how if more Christians were just open to the possibility that a lot of super pastors are actually wrong. They were just open to that possibility. All of a sudden, just a flood of information would just appear magically before their eyes because it's right there. It's right. right there in front of all of our eyes. Yeah. The problem is not that we, we don't have Bibles and we can't figure it out. The problem is we just have this this fog, this assumption that, well, of course they're all good. They're just all a little bit different. We don't agree on everything, but we get along because that's what we're supposed to do. It's like we're zombies. Yeah. He says and he I loves was. Jesus. I, I he has to do that. I mean, he, how can he not? I mean, he says he does, you know. That's enough. All you have to do is say, I love Jesus, and, well, you're in the club, right. you know? Right. You know, exactly. You know, then, you know, let the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and a lot of other groups join the group. Because if it's all about loving Jesus. By the way, this is another But they do. Of, they A lot of them now do. Right. And that's a totally meaningless catchphrase. And I have a whole other paper that's going to be on the website that you helped me work on, but I originally called it the Great Setup, and it's about all the underlying ideas that have infiltrated the church and have replaced our ability to, to use discernment. Uh, it's called Diffusing Demonic Dirty Bombs. Right That's on. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, We wanted so that alliteration there in there. There's 20 of them, and uh, it's, it's um, one of the things that when I've had the chance to share it with people, it, it's been really powerful and effective because I'm, for the last couple of years, I was attending churches where I knew something was really wrong, and I was just staying there to observe and to see if I could make a difference and taking a lot of notes and doing a lot of research. And, and as a result of that, I, I just can't turn off all these ideas because I want to try to teach people what I've learned and help them become free from it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so um, going back to this thing about my life story, that's one of the first things you mentioned about the Amway thing. We were involved in um, – Evangelical Free Churches, that's what my, my wife's background is. And I went to the Evangelical Free Church when I was a, a young Christian as a teenager. And I've seen 
since the late 70s, all these changes come into the church. Yeah. And it, it's almost uh, bizarre how many aspects of them I've been a part of in one way or the other. And, and, and looking back now and saying, well, I've become uh, involved enough in each of these components of the messed up church that I can speak about it with experience. And um, I'm not happy for those things that have happened in my past. I wish they you know, weren't that way. But you know, Lord willing, I can I can help instruct others to to avoid those things. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I've been an evan I was an evangelical uh, when I was in junior high and high school, and uh, this is back in the eighties. And um, what has happened within evangelicalism since the mid eighties to today? I mean, evangelicalism looks nothing like it did when uh we right. were when we were growing up. I mean, you could still really hear the gospel in many evangelical churches. I mean, and there was an emphasis on doctrine and sound doctrine and the importance of it. And so many of the books that are being published today by Christian publishers would have never been published by the Christian publisher publishing houses that existed in the 80s. They would have seen it for what it is, just rank heresy and nonsense. And, right. and, and, you know, literally in the course of my adult lifetime, you know, there's been such a radical shift that the person who is an evangelical who's, who believes in sound doctrine uh, says something significant about Christ and the cross and repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that person is, is viewed as uh, somehow dangerous, subversive, um, maybe off, uh, cranky, a hater, right. you know, and and totally out of step with whatever what the God's supposedly doing in the world. But uh, I mean, I remember a time when it wasn't like this, and evangelicalism has completely changed, uh, you know, since the mid '80s. And, Imploded. Yeah, right. And you said you were part of, you know, kind of, it, you know, along the way as the church changed, you were changing with it. And I, um, uh, gosh, five, six, seven years ago. And one of the things I did, I kid you not, Chris, all I did was I opened up my Bible while the sermon was being preached, and I looked at what the pastor was saying and what the Bible was saying. And and it just, it really shook me up, because I realized, well, he was just taking, you know, half a verse here and half a verse there. Yep. And, and I don't think that's what that verse even means. So even the half a verse that he did use, he was misusing it. Yep. And so we, we went through a period, oh my gosh, we went through a, a I, I have, as an artist, you know, I do all this incredibly detailed work. I'm a photorealist or a hyperrealist. Right. And I've just recently learned that I'm borderline OCD, which is actually a good thing when it comes to doing certain things, like being a photorealist painter. And I realize that I'm also borderline OCD when it comes to doing all this research about theology, the church and the history of the church, the different movements and how we got to this point. So I've, I've just poured on the steam the last three, four years studying all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I feel really good about what I've learned, but I also feel very sober about what I've learned because it's, it's not something that can simply be corrected with a couple of new books and a, you know, a new teaching series from Pastor So and So. It's, it's a, like this gigantic ocean liner of the church is is going the wrong direction, and it's almost impossible to turn it around. And it makes me go, well, is that even the church? That gigantic ocean liner that's just steaming forward? What is that thing? Right. 
it's claiming to be the church. It, it quotes the Bible. It talks about Jesus, but it doesn't even really seem that it is the church anymore. Right. I mean, yeah, that, that ocean liner, it's, it's definitely heading uh, away from Christ and his kingdom. Well, like, uh, but they're all about... singing, our God is an awesome God. I, you can hear it as, as the boat gets farther and farther. You can still hear, the, yeah. our God is an awesome. You know, so it's got to be the church, right? God was an awesome God. <laughs> I mean, here, one of the um, the barometers, I think, that maybe perhaps the best barometer of all is the incredible success of Joel Osteen. Yeah. And I haven't even written about him hardly at all yet on my blog because it's almost like an overkill. But to me, the fact that he's got the biggest church in America says almost everything you need to know. And, and the fact that no one's really... Um, complaining too much about his success or, or, you know, holding him accountable for his bad theology. Yeah. The the silence from the majority of pulpits in the United States is absolutely deafening when it comes to uh, Joel Osteen. And so that makes it, it's the, it's the normalizing of heresy. If you normalize it, it no longer appears to be heresy. So guys like us look like, you know, angry nutcases. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I just don't care. I just don't care. You know, I don't care. I've already lost some friends. I'm sure I'm going to lose some more. But, man, I know what I know. Right. And you can't turn around and, and go back. Yeah, you can't unsee the beast once you've seen it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and that's kind of the thing. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's like, you know, it would be – my life would be a, just a lot easier um, and I'd have a lot less heartburn if, uh, you know, if I just gave up, you know, you know, going out there and digging this stuff up and then putting a program together every day. I mean, I, oftentimes I get emails from people going, how do you do this? You know, yeah. I, I can't even listen to a full sermon and you're, you're reviewing how many of these things a week. It's so awful. And it's like, yeah, but. The thing is, is that there's always that email that you get that from the person who says, you know, I've been listening to your program for two, three years now, and finally the light bulb has gone on, and I used to think you were right. the biggest jerk in the whole world, and now I just right. wanted to call, I just wanted to email and say thank you for, for you know, showing me what God's word really says, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah it's like I remember, I remember listening to you for the first handful of times and. Thinking to myself, wow, he's actually reading the Bible passage. He's not just summarizing it. He's not just allegorizing. It. He's actually reading the whole thing. I, I forgot that that's what people used to do when they gave sermons. And you would you would actually read the the actual Bible passage that the so-called pastor was not reading. Right. And he's got an hour. You you can't read the Bible and you're going to be up there telling jokes and stories for an hour. I mean that's just right there. Everybody who's listening to my voice right now, if you're going to a church where a guy's preaching for an hour and he's not actually taking the time to read the Bible, I give you permission to leave. Yeah. It's crazy. That's the very least the guy could be doing. He could do a he could do a twenty minute sermon and just read the Bible. I mean I uh, I'm getting I'm getting all worked up here. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> right. And I've actually heard uh, vision casting leaders in these big box churches say, you know, if, if I had time I would uh, you know, I, exactly. I, you know, you and, have time. Shut up. You what have, have you been doing? You know, it's like we're 35 minutes into a 50-minute sermon. If you had time, you'd actually read this text. What does that right. even mean? I mean, where where's the priority for a man like there's that? There's always this there's this assumption that somewhere in the hidden um, 
vastness of the megachurch, somebody somewhere is actually reading and studying the Bible. We yeah. don't know where it's happening. We don't know who's actually doing it. But there's just this kind of, you know, foggy belief that it must be going on somewhere. Somebody's got to be doing that stuff. Somebody went to a school or something, right. and it's not happening. Yeah. Just, everybody just wake up. It's not happening. You can do it yourself. Just take out your Bible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It. So I lost a lot of time over the last three, four years when I was supposed to be painting. I was studying. I was reading. I was reviewing sermons. I was actually listening to sermons and writing them down word for word oh, wow. from pastors because I just felt like I don't want to be unfair. I don't want to jump to conclusions. I want to know for sure that I'm hearing him correctly. And I and I would I would write out entire sermons from guys that I was under, and, and I, I looked at it and I realized, you know, I, I see what he's doing here, and I don't agree with it. Yeah. And, and pastors don't want people doing that. I found that out the hard way. Pastors, when they hear there's a guy taking notes on their sermons and, and comparing them to Scripture, they, they want you gone, huh. you know, unless you're going to a good church. You know, which you know, when you said that, something came to my mind. I thought this, you know, one of the things that's kind of the hallmark of the, uh, of the seeker-driven churches now is they hand out fill-in-the-blank notes. They don't. They don't actually encourage people to pull out a piece of paper and write things down. They give them a piece of paper, and all you got to do is add a word to a blank along the way, and that's supposedly the note taking that you are supposed to be doing in these big box churches. And this is pioneered by Rick Warren. That's not taking notes. That's not actually learning anything. That's thought control. Right. It's pretending that you actually learned something and you're writing it down. You know, there is that that general idea that when you write something down, you're more interactive and it helps you remember. Yep. But really what it is, it's, it's creating the illusion that you're learning and you're studying when in fact you're just, you're just being brainwashed in a sense. Right. So fill in the blank notes are no way of act. You're not actually learning anything. What your, your, your mind is being controlled. It's the worst form of indoctrination. Wow. And they're being indoctrinated into some kind of an ideology. It sure ain't Christian theology they're being indoctrinated into. I mean, it right. doesn't even remotely resemble Christi- Christianity or Christian theology. And the problem is this, is this this stuff is dangerous because all false theologies ultimately are hostile to the gospel and very hostile to Christ, but they all end up bearing fruit in, in one form or another. And, uh, you know, if you learn the lesson of the uh, the 1900s, um, yeah, um, uh, well, not the 1900s, the, we'll go to the 1800s. If you learn the lesson of the 1800s with the, in the continental Europe, that's the rise of kind of the anti-enlightenment philosophies of, uh, of Immanuel Kant and uh, Hegel and others. And uh, and that stuff, you know, people were embracing and and defending and saying it's amazing. They were mixing it with Christianity, but that's the philosophy that ended up creating uh, the fascists of the 20th century. And right. so, that, you know, my concern is this: is that you know, we I don't think we've seen yet, you know, the fruit that is going to be born in our society as a result of these megachurches. And the ideology that they've that they've indoctrinated these, you know, hundreds of thousands of people into, and millions now. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Where where it's going is a, it could be kind of a scary thing, and that's where the gospel can give us peace because it could get really ugly. Maybe we should buy food buckets from Jim Baker. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. If you. If you come out with your own food bucket, maybe, but so far I'm not. 
um, yeah. Friends. For those of you who think, oh, you shouldn't be knocking the, you know, the. the hey, but you know what? If you get those Jim Baker food buckets, you could probably um, spruce them up a bit with some shamita sauce. Yeah, so right. Exactly. Maybe you should just be yeah. tagging along. Yeah. There's no point in buying Jim Baker's food buckets if you don't have, uh, you know, the Four Blood Moons fiery shamita sauce from uh, Prior Christian <laughs> Radio. But um, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> no. If, if you're really into that thing, YouTube videos—they teach you how to dry can, and the YouTube yeah. videos are free and. Buying food in bulk and going that way a lot less expensive than sending it to a, a you know <clears throat> a manipulative televangelist who uh, has uh, already spent one <laughs> one stint in prison. But anyway, um, so uh, we're off topic. <laughs> get, get me started. See, get me talking on this. Don't things. get me started. All right now, cry it out loud. Now, one of the things you, you you did talk about this. You you also are in the vocation of photorealistic painter. And, mm-hmm. um, in fact, some of your paintings are available it, as bake sale items at, yep. uh, at, 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 at our fighting for the faith website. Um, and, you know, and, uh, if, if they wanted to learn more about your photorealistic painter, uh, paintings, where could they go on the internet to see some of your work? Well, my, I have my own website, which is linked there too. I think it's just stephencozar.com. Okay. And now that I'm working with John Maximum, this great new pirate website. I'm learning all about how to really build a website. So my Stephen Kozar website, which I just built a year ago, uh-huh. I'm really looking forward to redoing it, making it even better because it's a little slow right now. But it has a ton of images because I've been doing this for uh, almost 30 years now. Yep. Next year will be the, the 30th year. So um, the, yeah, the prints are um, just a, a way to hopefully uh, raise some money and, and keep us all doing what we're doing. Right. They're they're actually prints that I make myself, and they're some of my most popular images that I've painted over the years. Yeah. And I moved to um, Wisconsin from the Chicago area. Uh, it was kind of a dream of mine to to live in Wisconsin and paint the landscape and uh, you know do it for an actual living, not as a hobby. I I, uh, I have a really neat story about how we got started. Very very naive. I dropped out of art school. And uh, just started painting, and and my wife really believed in me, and still does. And it's a crazy, ridiculous way to make a living, but I'm really thankful to God that I got this far. And and I um, I, I want to keep doing it for sure, but I see it differently now because I I well here, here's a really good kind of a, a segue. The gospel is an actual message that has to be shared with words. Yeah. And one of the misconceptions is that we can somehow live in such a way or produce art in such a way or do something that's, you know, not involved with words, and, and somehow the gospel will be conveyed, and it just isn't true. I mean, we have to actually share the actual words to convey the gospel. So yeah. part, part of what I, I hopefully have done as an artist, though, is to, to um, tap into that part of, I think each of us have a little back of our mind thing, you know, like from uh, the first chapter of Romans, that we, we know there's a God. We just know it. We see his handiwork all around us. And, and I hope that my paintings help reinforce that in some way. But I don't expect people to all of a sudden understand the entire gospel message just because they look at a beautiful painting. So you, you okay. haven't had anyone say to you, oh, Kozar, listen, man, I, I saw that painting you did and uh, you know, of that of that barn in, in Wisconsin. And after seeing it, I fell to my knees in penitent faith and 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 now I believe in Jesus. They haven't done. Hasn't that. happened yet. No, oh, okay. I don't think it will. <laughs> All right. Yes. So uh, you know, in in your OCDness, you you are now the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. 
Yep, and it, it, the new museum is up as of about an hour ago. We uh, just connected it. I think I've got four or five new postings. Yep, and there we're, are a lot of things that you posted over the years that we didn't bring over because it just didn't work. The computer program only went back so far. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'll probably add some things here and there, like a. Uh, now, here's a look from what Chris posted in 2010. Yeah, which yeah. I think is the right way of doing it because, you know, I did the Museum of Idolatry for many years. And after a while, I, I, de- I developed a love-hate relationship with the Museum of Idolatry and, I, and mostly hate. Um, you know, it was in, in – and in, that's actually kind of what started me in the direction of, of uh, g- doing the Fighting for the Faith radio program. And I wondered. yeah, and you know, it, it that and so fighting for the faith in a way is kind of like a daily radio version of the Museum of Idolatry. But the nice thing about the museum uh, of the, you know, fighting for the faith is, is, is that it's there's an educational component to it that right. you know that it helps. Um, you know, whereas doing the Museum of Idolatry, it was like only being able to get half the story out. Um, and for- well, it's interesting you would say that because that's what I'm actually trying to do with the new postings. I'm actually trying to do a miniature version of what you're doing on the show, just taking a little piece of something yeah, and then explaining the the more biblical way to, to look at it. Like I just posted this little promo video for a women's conference at Lakewood called Love Your Life. Yeah. Isn't there a biblical text that says the one who loves his life will lose it? I mean, I'm just saying, you know. Yep, I mean, that's, and I've got those passages right there. Okay. In some cases, I will actually do a little bit of my own writing, and in some cases, I'll just put the Bible verses that just nail them to the wall because it, it just shows you in a few verses that this guy is way off base. Yeah. I just did a posting about Todd White. Oh, good, good. Yeah. He, he he's one that we've kind of we, we haven't touched on him enough. I mean, he kind of got a mini critique when we did the yeah. uh, the Holy Ghost movie. He was the one who was doing that fake leg growing miracle thing. Um, well, the last the last church that we went to was was teaching that whole signs and wonders theology, and they weren't as bad as Todd White, but they actually had Todd White come and speak one time. Really, and and so the pastor was at times preaching the actual gospel, but then at other times, way too often, he was doing the signs and wonders thing. And the gist of it is, what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. That wasn't the whole story. We have to now continue on, and we have to do miracles. People can't believe in Jesus because we haven't done our part in you know healing their bad back or curing them of whatever ails them. So it's this incredible pressure to put on people, and it, it sounds good, and it's. It kind of appeals to our um, that part of us that thinks we can be good enough, which right. is what Jesus came to crush. That's what the law does; it crushes us, us of our, our, you know, delusional thinking that we can somehow be like Jesus. But actually, Todd White and guys like Bill Johnson teach that well, we we actually should become like Jesus. And as I've studied the history of the church, I'm going, oh my gosh, this is not new. This goes back to Finney. This goes all the way back to Pelagius. Yep, that's right. Nothing new at all. Yeah. Which it, reminds me, one of the things that's going to happen with the new website, and and I'm saying this because I want people to know that if they decide to buy some of the products from the store or they decide to become a, a monthly, um, what do you call it, a powder monkey or whatever, <laughs> the money is going to actually help us teach better and to provi- provide more resources. Right. Like when, every time I write an article – or every time you do one of your shows and you have to say the same thing that you've said over and over again, I want there to be a reference 
for you to just refer to. Like when, when somebody misquotes a certain verse, I want you to be able to say, well, he's just referring to number four on our list. And when people can see that online and they can print it out and they can actually much more easily learn these things. So when I mention Pelagianism, I want people to go to a, a and actually I just wrote this. It's not up yet, I don't think, but it's uh, the lexicon. We're, we have a whole lexicon page. Yeah. That's some of the funny words that you use, which I had a ball. <laughs> writing about yeah what about phonies is the best yeah but it's but, but it also has a lot of real theological words so there's going to be more and more ways that people can um, kind of cross-reference all of these ideas and learn as as much as they can in the shortest amount of time right and and that's really kind of the idea behind you know pirate christian uh you know the the website 2.0 and why we're bringing everything kind of under one umbrella. And by the way, the uh, the uh, previous URL for uh, the Museum of Idolatry is a little11.com, and we're in the process of actually pointing that to the new Museum of Idolatry. So that you know that if you know of you know the you know a little11.com as the uh, URL to share for uh, links for the Museum of Idolatry, that will still work. We're we're working with uh, Network Solutions to get it pointed over to. Uh, the new, but it'll eventually soon. It'll just go right to the new one. So right. that old content won't be accessed after a certain time. Yeah, and the the, uh, the curator will have uh, access to the archives, and and he can pull out old exhibits and do with them as yeah. they want. But one of the things about the Museum of Idolatry is is that you know by putting out stuff on a you know on a regular basis, you know several times a week. It, it creates its kind of own traffic flow because the, it's it's like being on the freeway and you, there's an accident on the other side of the road. You can't help but look at it, you know. Right. So, I use that phrase a lot. Yeah. Driving by the scene of an accident is, uh, is, a, is a way to get people's attention. And that's what I started doing with the messed up church. And I it, it really didn't get much traction until you started posting my articles, the first one back in March, which was the um, – Want some false doctrine in your life? Here's some handy tips. And I wrote this whole thing kind of as a commercial for false doctrine. Right. It just took off. Yeah. It was really fun seeing what happened. And now I'm going to use the messed up church as more of a word-based blog. And then the um, the Museum of Idolatry will be more showing videos and pictures. Yeah, visual, with right. With less words. But yeah. they're, they're going to be doing some, somewhat uh, of the same thing, just in a slightly different form. Now, I, I have to know. I, I have to ask you. Uh, will Mr. Sparkle be uh, in the new museum? He's there now. He's there now. Good. I didn't I didn't go through the archives. and uh, Mr. Sparkle, yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the Mr. most. Mr. Sparkle changed my life. <laughs> that was one of the more bizarre exhibits. And you're thinking, what is Mr. Sparkle? If you, know, if you don't know what, what Mr. Sparkle is or who he is, you have to see it in the museum. Maybe I'll put a link up with this episode. Oh. <laughs> for the, you know, it's some bizarre thing that uh, the Hillsong came up with. You know, for the you know, Mr. Sparkle made an appearance at uh, the I think yeah, the, the a, UK it's a Hillsong disco ball. Yes, yeah, human disco. That's what every church needs, <laughs> right? I like I, you just be sinners being brought to penitent faith because of the human disco ball. I mean, it's it's it's. <laughs> It's one of the more bizarre things that I have ever seen in my life. You know, I, know, I, I keep I look at all this stuff and I'm thinking, well, this is just like what the onion would do, but it's not satire; it's real. That yeah, exactly. It, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, and it comes 
And it comes from Pelagianism. It's this idea that we got to do the work of God. God can't do it. He's not really sovereign. Right. It, it's we all about it, our free will. It's all about closing the deal, man. You got you got to yeah. get people to make the decisions. So if that's what you got to do, and they can't make do. a decision if they don't come in the door, and they're not going to come in the door unless there's some ridiculous, embarrassing spectacle that attracts them. Exactly. And the embarrassing spectacle every year gets more embarrassing. <laughs> You know, I I remember a few this early on in the history of fighting for the faith. We uh, one of the things I said on the air was uh, that it is just a matter of time, and I and I gave it a time frame. I said it's going to happen. I forget if it was within twenty four months or eighteen months <laughs> or twelve months. I said it's just a matter of time before one of these seeker driven guys sets up a stripper pole in you know inside of the church. And everybody just thought that is over the top, Rosebro. No way. There's no way they would do that. And so what I did is I basically said, "All right, you know, if you want to take me up on this and you want to wager, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll, you know, we'll make this a official thing." And there were several people who took me up on the wager. And if I was wrong, and there was a particular deadline, then, um, then I had to literally purchase for these people. Like uh, you know, the, like the basic package of the Logos Bible software, you know, and oh, wow. and so you know, I figured you know, if, if I'm going to lose, at least I'm going to lose in a way that's going, you know, they'll have some really good tools that'll help them understand Scripture. But as it turns out, I mean, we you know, we we were still maybe five or six months out from the deadline, and yeah. sure enough, you know, some guy <laughs> set up a stripper pole in his church and it's like you know and i i wanted to be wrong on that one but yeah. you, you can it, it, and i'm not a prophet it's just you can connect the dots right, and right. see where this thing is trending and you're sitting there going well that dot is here this dot is here that means the next thing coming it, in the way this is going is going to be this thing here it's just trend analysis and, and, and it's the same with listening to all these horrible sermons you know what the guy's going to say before he says it after a while right it's all the same yeah, you know whatever the verse is, they turn it into well. What's your blah blah blah? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, what's your red sea moment or whatever. The, yeah, are you in the Nazareth? Yeah, are you in the are you in the manger phase of your of your Christian experience? <laughs> I mean, are you pregnant it with is, potential like I like think, Mary? Um, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work for everybody. Some people are just offended and it, and it turns them off. But I think in many cases, you, you see how ridiculous something is only when someone else. You know, does an exaggerated version of it. And then you have to step back and, and realize, oh, uh, that's actually not too far from what's actually taking place. Right, right. Now, and now you know, my uh, my son and I, we write a lot of the Max Holiday sketches together. And um, yeah. he's he's in, over the you know past year, he's become very frustrated. And the reason why he's frustrated is because there was a time when we would write Max Holiday sketches. And what we, what we were doing was clearly goofy and satirical, and we were kind of ahead of uh, a lot of these guys. And, and now they're doing stuff that's just like it. Basically, now right? they're doing now they're doing things to where my son is saying, "Dad, I'm frustrated because <laughs> either this stuff is or we can't we can't go over the top anymore. There's no way there's no over the top to go because of what these guys and are the, doing." Yeah. And the apology for the hokey pokey. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, pokey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, so it's like you know how how do you even satirize something that is already satirizing itself? You know, exactly. Yeah, I've used that phrase. It's a satire of itself. <sighs> and and of course the 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 despond the thing that makes you despondent and just you go, Ugh, 
you know, want to take up drinking or something is, is, you know, you look at this stuff and you're going, how are these people thinking that God has anything to do with this? This is just stupid, you know, and you hate to kind of put it in such crass terms, but that's what it is. It's just right. dumb. And I, and, and you, you point that out and then they, and they get mad at you for pointing out that it's dumb. Yeah, I know. And that's where I'm, I'm always thinking of ways to try to reverse engineer the thought process that led to that point so that they could see the steps that led to that and see how, you know, each of those steps, whether there was good intentions or not, it was a bad idea. Yeah. And it all starts with bad theology. I I didn't consider myself very um, knowledgeable about theology. I was just really confused about what was going on in the church. And when I read passages like Matthew 7 and Matthew 24, and when I saw what was going on in the actual world of the church, I realized this this looks like what the Bible describes as the end times. Yep. The kind of apostasy, the the the, um, the false teaching and all that. The so sending of a strong delusion. Theology. Yeah. The strong delusion. I, I, I think of that on a daily basis. I think about this is what it looks like when people are operating under a strong delusion. Not yeah. just a regular delusion, not your everyday delusion, a really effective one. It has many layers. Yeah, yeah, and you, you, and you back one at a time. And you know, it's it's got to be some kind of like super strong delusion when people who are total pagans sit there and go, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's just nuts. And and they're yeah. not and they're not reacting to you saying, "I believe that Jesus rose bodily from the grave." That's not what they're reacting to. What they're reacting to that's is, y- you really believe that if you send a thousand dollar quote unquote seed offering to a televangelist that God's going to give you a hundredfold increase. Are you out of your mind? You know, (laughs) you really believe that that leg growing miracle was a miracle. Come on. You know, they're not offended by the cross. They're not offended by uh, Christ bleeding and dying for our sins or the claim that he rose bodily from the grave. They're, they're literally scandalized by how gullible Christians are and how they have like no discernment whatsoever when a guy who is on his face, a complete manipulator and deceiver whose only goal is to get into their wallet and vacuum out all the bills in it, it you know, is, you know, is, and they're sitting there saying, this guy's a man of God and the non-believers going, if that's a man of God, I don't want to have anything to do with God because that guy is just a snake oil dude. Wake up. And this, yeah. you know, and then of course they cut them off, and you know, f- block them on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that for daring to challenge the man of God. And and yet the pagan sits there and, and they get it, and the Christian, the one who supposedly reads their Bible, they they don't they don't see it at all, and they're incensed that you would do anything to pop their bubble or take them out of the delusion. Which goes back to that thought control brainwashing thing. How, how much of what is going on in, in these churches is actually a form of thought control? Yeah. I think uh, a lot of it is. And one of the things that I realized being in churches and being in the worship team and being behind the scenes and knowing a lot of pastors, that it, it, all, it all revolves around the weekly hour-and-a-half show called The Church Service. And, and there, there really is a lot of plate spinning going on during the week. We got to just keep this thing going. We got a staff to pay. We got bills to pay. We don't have time to, to, to dig deep into the theology, whether it's right or wrong. We just got to keep going forward. We got to, whatever happens on Sunday morning, it's got to keep people 
excited enough to come back the next week and to keep those tithing checks coming. So it's just like skimming across the surface. Right. How I see a lot of what's going on in the churches, and and you really have to uh, remove yourself from it in order to see it more clearly, which is what what I did with Amway too. I stopped listening to the tapes, and after a while, my mind just kind of cleared up. And and you know, part of my process uh, was listening to you, listening to people like uh, Bob DeWay and, and the White Horse Inn and Issues, et cetera, and Worldview Everlasting, all these shows. And I've got so much time because I'm an artist who's painting all day long with a laptop and a set of speakers. So I'm I'm in a really fortunate position. So I've been, I probably got about 10 or 20 years of learning all squeezed into maybe two or three years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm trying to condense that as much as I can and, and uh, you know, make it more clean and efficient and uh possible for people to learn some of these same things on, on the new website right? and to clear out that fogginess. I mean, we, Paul and I both, we turned off the television. We disconnected it about three years ago. That was just part of our process. And I, I wasn't a big television watcher anyway, and I, I, I actually kind of hated it. So after just a couple of months, she said to me one day, I feel smarter. <laughs> And she really meant it. She said, right. I feel like I have room inside my head to think again. And I, I really see that what's happening to a lot of Americans is this is an incredible culture of distraction. Right. And, and there is no space for anything. We, we, how can the Word of God penetrate? How can the Holy Spirit work through the Word of God when we don't even read it? When we do, we read just tiny little snippets in between commercials. Right. And, crazy. and on top of that, I mean, you go to church, you're not hearing the word of God from these no. vision cast at like, not at all. I mean, when I would listen to a pastor preface his sermon by, you know, the opening prayer, he'd say, God, we want to hear from you today. And I, I have this in my notes, probably still in my phone. I've been keeping notes for years now. I'd say in parentheses, why don't you shut up and read the Bible? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't tell me you want to hear from God and then you're just going to talk for an hour. Mm-hmm. And talk about your ideas and your stories and your visions, your dreams, whatever it is. I don't, I don't want to hear that stuff anymore. Right. But anyway, we're, we go to a great little confessional church up the road. We just love it. We love our pastor. We've been so blessed. So I, I'm, I'm probably a, a really good guy to be helping you and, and the team because it's so fresh in my mind. I went through it. The emotions are still right there below the surface yeah and, and, and relate to people who are trapped and that's a big help for me because i mean i mean barb and i came out of evangelicalism you know it's been two decades now and so i mean i can remember it but it's not fresh in my mind and and it's like you know i i actually have a i have to try to think like an evangelical now i mean i can do it but it's not it's it's like it's no longer my native language. You know, I don't right. know if that makes any sense at all. Whereas, you know, yeah, you can, you can do it in parody form, right? Parody it, but you, you can't actually think that way in, in your own mind because it's not there anymore. It's like a, you've been through the deprogramming process, which is, which is what I've been through. And I'm just a lot earlier into it. So yeah. I look forward to the rest of my life and learning more. I really do. I just feel such a peace you know, knowing what the real gospel is. And you know, one of the things that's, it's happened with me is I'm sharing the gospel much more freely now because I actually know what it is. Yeah. And I know that it's going to offend people, and I realize that up front. An aspect of modern decisional theology is that we have to share our faith with people, but we've got to do it just right. We've got to build a relationship. We've got to be relatable. We've got to be relevant. We've got to use uh, you know cultural anecdotes. 
the weight of all that is just unbearable. Yeah. Don't don't share your faith too early, but don't share it too late. Don't wait too long, but don't do it right away. And it just drives me nuts. And, <laughs> and can, now I feel that cause like a neurotic bind. It's like, well, which is it? What do I do? You know, how will I know? I know you know. Yeah, and that's uh, it's like the um, the uh, article I wrote a few months ago about cognitive dissonance. There's just tons of it in the church. We. We have people going to church who are being taught contradictory things, and and honestly, part of the reason they constantly have the soft music playing is so that it it kind of helps create the illusion of re- resolution. Yeah, and I actually wrote about that in the paper. There's been psychological studies that show you play pleasant music and it eliminates some of the effects of cognitive dissonance. It doesn't make it go away; it just helps you not to notice it. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. In fact, and I was in the praise band. I was up there, you know, and, and being a good Christian, wanting to help, I, I felt like, well, I can play these instruments. I'll, I'll do my part to help make the church service go well, so that people feel the Holy Spirit, so that I'll help, you know, grow the church. I'll, I'll help bring people to Christ in my way. And after a while, I realized, no, actually, what I'm doing is I'm just playing music that has a strong emotional pull to it, right? And it creates this false Holy Spirit, and and just think about it for just a minute or two, and you, you realize, well, then, if it's true that these rock praise bands are somehow drawing in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit wasn't there, but now he is there because we played these songs. What did they do before electricity and amplifiers? Right. It's, just, it's, it's absurd. Well, I, the Holy I, Spirit, yeah. he's up in the rafters, and he's, he wants to come down. He's just waiting for you to hit that E minor chord. I think he, I think he, uh, I think he actually responds to a G chord because you know so many of those praise songs, you know, never mind. But it, yeah, it's the G and then E minor. Exactly, it's G E minor <laughs> C and then and then C and then the Holy Spirit goes, oh, that's my song, and he has to come, you know. So it's G D E minor C. That's the that's the Christian chord progression. There right you there. go. There you go. See, yeah, that's uh, the God of Wonders chord progression in every other Christian song since. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, everybody who's listening to me, who's part of a praise team, is laughing right now because they know I'm telling the truth. Exactly, it's true. It, it's right. the chord progression. That's right. That is the chord progression, and <laughs> it, it's like it's like the movie E.T. Boo bee boo boo boo. You know, and yeah. so, you know, you know, you, you play the you play the right combo of co- of chords and the right, th- and then the Holy Spirit. It's like you know, it's like come here, Holy Spirit. It's like oh, the, ha, ha, I, they just played my progression. He comes down and does his thing. So you know, it's no, it's ugh. Yeah, this is <laughs> that ain't the Holy Spirit. I, I, you know, it, it, no. it's the spirit of some kind, but it ain't holy, and it ain't, it ain't God, it, the it, Holy it, Spirit. It's, it's just the emotions that are a result of hearing good music. Music right. is intrinsically emotional. Yeah, and it can actually be very manipulative, or manipulative as, as a result, which is something we shouldn't be doing as Christians. We mm-hmm. should be really keenly aware of that, and. and we shouldn't be blaspheming God by saying that, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit showed up. You could tell when we sang those harmonies, boy, he, he just all of a sudden popped into the room. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, hey, hey, we hit those notes really good, didn't we? Didn't that sound nice? Yeah. I mean, they, they hit they hit the chords just perfect, and they sit there and go, oh, the anointing fell, man. I mean, did you – the atmosphere changed and the anointing fell. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Yeah, it was thick <laughs> that, that day. You know, like, really? Yeah, that was the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, yeah. The One thing- of the last things I did at our previous church was I, I actually gave a twenty-minute little mini sermon on a Sunday night, all about how if you want to hear from God, you should just read your Bible. 
and it was a large charismatic church. And, yeah. Uh, it's amazing. The response to it was great. Everybody loved it. They, it was so refreshing. They hadn't heard that before. <laughs> but afterwards, they, um, a group of them got around to pray over me, and this one woman who probably just went to a conference somewhere, and she said, Lord, I, and there's a shift in the atmosphere because of what this man is doing. And I'm chuckling to myself going, no, there's no shift in the atmosphere. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just heard that at the last uh, Bethel conference or whatever it was where you know, they, these catchphrases, they passed around for a while. Yeah. And it'll be gone like the dodo bird at some point. Yeah, and I mean, I don't even, I mean, I've, I don't even know how to interpret some of the Christianese that's out there right now. It's like, what on earth is this stuff? Yeah, you know, um, did you notice, uh, no, you, you probably didn't. Um, you used a phrase, I don't even know if you used it more than once, but you called it theological diarrhea. Okay, yeah. I that was really good. Yeah. And I, I have that in the pirate uh, lexicon now. So <laughs> yeah. basically it's when... People are using spiritual-sounding words that even have some biblical content, but they really are formless. They don't actually mean anything. Right. Yeah. And it's always done with increasing intensity, and the more you raise your voice, and then use the pause. Yeah. The drama. Right. That's theological diarrhea. You're not actually saying anything. God's not doing anything. It's just a, a total uh, manipulative trick. Yep, yep. So, well, Stephen, I got to tell thank you. Thank you, Mr. Finney. That's what, that's <laughs> that's what, what he gave us. Exactly. That's exactly, that's Finneyite stuff. It's the, it's the anxious bench, you know, in a, in a different context. But, <laughs> you know, um, Stephen, I'm really excited that you are on board with our new website, that you're going to be the uh, curator of the Museum of Idolatry, and I will pray that it doesn't burn you out. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, you, know. You're, you're handling dark things. That's and if I can give you just one word of advice, it's dark, you know. And you know, I know you you've got the same kind of snark and and uh, you know you got that little you know jab in you where you know you use humor well. Um, but I got to tell you, this is the kind of stuff that if you if you if you pondered too hard on the darkness of what it is that you're handling and putting up in that museum. It, it could send you into a psychological funk. I'm just saying because I've been there. I believe it. You know, so I believe it. You know, always I'm, remember. I'm aware your, of that. I, yeah, you remember that. I have a whole folder in my YouTube uh, little file of funny videos, just silly stuff. Yeah, you remember? Uh, you, did you ever see the movie Time Bandits? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was not the Ron Howard one. Uh, no. no, no, that's not Ron Howard. It was one of the guys from Monty Python. But uh, had you know, I had, never did see that one. It had Sean Connery in it, and uh, you know, those of you who are into British comedy, there's some actually there's some uh, some worthy things in there in that sense. But it's a you know basically this kid who has a family that's totally dysfunctional, and uh, you know, and these guys show up in his bedroom because uh, you know there's a rip in the time space continuum. And these and they have a map of where all these little rips are in the time space continuum. You can travel through time if you can find like the the rip or the and the tear in the fabric of the space time continuum. And so this kid actually travels through time. He sees Napoleon and goes back. And I mean, it, it's a kind of an interesting story. But at the very there's a the, Chris, this doesn't sound biblical. No, nah, just I'm work just with call me. You carpet right now, my friend. Yeah, it isn't biblical, dude. It's 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 a story. Okay. So it, it there's, everybody out there who's listening, I just want to point that out. <laughs> Continue. Thank you, thank you, Stephen. So there's this evil character who's much akin to the devil, and he ends up dying, and a part of him. It you know it survives the uh, the ordeal and shows up in his this kid's parents toaster and after and their house had burned down and the the last scene of the movie is is kind of really kind of funny because 
the, you know, the, the fireman comes out with the toaster and opens the door to the toaster. It's one of those, you know, those toaster oven kind of things. And there's the, the dark piece of the, uh, of the dark Lord that had died kind of smoldering in the toaster. And, uh, and his, his dad is about to touch it and he yells, don't touch it. It's evil. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, it's like, anyway, I'm just saying, okay, what you're dealing with is kind of like what was in the toaster and at the end of time bandit. So, yeah, that, that touches me deeply. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> kind of a long story for like a, not even a good payout. So. <laughs> I think I think um, we can actually, though, uh, humor can actually play a role in alleviating some of the darkness. And, yeah. And of course, we can go too far and become just, you know, silly and, and cynical and and hurtful too. I don't I don't want to do that. But I I do want to bring down these guys when their false teaching is actually hurting people. I, yeah. I have no qualms at all. Yep. About pointing it out so that people can be free, not because I want to hurt somebody, because I want to help somebody. Right. And and see that's kind of the thing. There's a story uh, that uh, of Luther when Luther was um, was it the Wartburg Castle, you know, after he had been absconded, you know, because uh, that he was under the death sentence, and uh, and so he's he's uh, in you know he's in the castle, you know, he's in the tower, you know, translating the Bible, and uh, you know he's, he's you know he's not even able to you know operate in public. He ended up growing a beard and all this kind of stuff, and you know, and but anyway, he's up in the tower and he's he's translating. And, he, you know, he writes about it. He says there was this cacophony of sound. It sounded like somebody had dropped a barrel from his door down the stairs of the, uh, of, of the, of the tower. And it, it startled him. And he opened up the door and looked outside and he saw nothing. Yeah, he there was absolutely nothing there. And, and, and then, he, you know, he realized, oh, this is probably some kind of demonic trickery or whatever. And, and so he kind of says out loud, oh, devil, if I knew that it was you, I would have, I wouldn't have even gotten up, you know, just <laughs> kind of mocking the devil kind of thing. And, and, and the commentary on it that Walter gives in his uh, book on law and gospel is, is that the devil is a haughty spirit. And the one thing he cannot bear is to be mocked. And I, and I thought that was kind of a fascinating little anecdote. And that's the idea. And sometimes somebody in, in you know, kind of a moment of candid honesty will say, you know, Chris, I don't understand why you don't show professional courtesy to some of these guys and why you use satire and humor the way you do. And hmm. uh, when somebody kind of candidly asks me in, in that tone, I'll say it's real simple. When everybody else is demanding, you know, legalistically so, that I honor and recognize that this man is a man of God when he clearly is twisting God's word. And that's the demand that's put on me. As a Christian in a situation like that, my duty is to not only not recognize that he's a man of God, but he's and show him to be the way he that he's haughty. I have I'm duty bound to actually mock him in the way that uh, Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. To expose him, right? Exactly, and and instead and, of covering him up, exactly. Because in a situation like that, where everybody is demanding my unity from me without question, and for me to put aside all of the theological uh, problems uh, that I have, and 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 stop exposing this man, instead, just admit and you know, basically kiss the ring and say that this man is a man of God is what they want me to do. I can't do that, and I'm duty bound to do the opposite. Is, you know what's actually similar to that is my relationship to the art world as a realist painter. Um, 
for, for the most part, it's changed a bit in the last decade or two, but for the most part, realism is seen as overly commercial and it's not heartfelt. It's not serious art, which I don't believe at all. I, I, I know it's not true. I've studied art history enough to know that realism is actually the bulk of all of right. history of art. It's only in the last you know, couple of generations that we've decided that realism is passe. Mm-hmm. And, and part of my experience as an artist was doing the same thing on a much smaller scale. But that was to say to all the experts, I don't want to be an abstract painter. Mm-hmm. I want to paint realistically. In fact, I was drawn to, out of all the art that was being produced throughout history, it was the uh, the artwork of guys like Hans Holbein, the Younger, and Albrecht Durer in Germany, which coincidentally was during the time of the Reformation. Huh. They were using a great realism to produce works of art in the 1500s that are just stunning, yeah. absolutely stunning. And so when I was in... Uh, college for the brief time that I was there, I was taking painting classes where they were kind of mocking realism and any kind of art that was uh, representational. But I was also taking a few art history classes, and I was realizing there was a, there was a wealth of great artists um, for hundreds and hundreds of years who used realism. And I just decided I'm going to just kind of attach myself to that movement. Mm-hmm. And so now as a Christian, I feel very attached to the uh, the, the Reformation in a theological way, and we certainly need a new one. Yeah, it's, so in a sense, we're we're all kind of part of uh, theological realism, you know. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's like an article right there. Right, theological realism. We're we're going to paint the picture the way it really is. Yeah, that's an article. I'm telling you, it just doesn't <laughs> stop. I got articles. You just see my phone. I got all these ideas. I was I was actually writing a new one just a couple hours ago. <laughs> And I, I put them in my phone, and sometimes I post them right away, and a lot of times I sit on them for a few months, and I think about them and try to make them better. Yeah, you got to cogitate. And uh, it, it, I've been doing a lot of writing lately myself, and got to admit, I, I really enjoy the discipline and uh, how writing forces you to just slow every mental process down to a crawl and think hard about the implications of what it is that you're saying and, and how things are connecting. And so... Um, I, I, get, I get the feeling in the future there's going to be a lot more writing coming from me as uh, as my schedule changes. So, but anyway, yeah. well, Kozar, I I got to tell you, you know, I keep telling you this, you're killing me, dude. Um, you know, I I, I love uh, that you you are on board the HMS Aletheia as one of our crew members, and I'm and uh, and uh, and that you're contributing and and helping to kind of round out. Uh, what it is that uh, we offer at piratechristian.com uh, and that right. you've you know kind of picked up where I've left off with the museum. I'm looking forward to seeing what it is that you dig up and uh, and the, and the nice thing is that since I'm not the curator anymore, I can I can kind of be one of the people who wanders through the museum that you set up, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you uh, will <laughs> be pulling you, you out know, for us to see. Ironic about this, I, I'm a I'm an artist who most curators would would say, yeah, you know, he's a realist painter. I don't want to really show that. I, I want to be more edgy. I want to be more alternative. So now I am the curator. I don't have to worry about what some other guy says. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing what edgy things you come up with. <laughs> so. It'll be edgy orthodoxy. Right. Can, can you do that? I, I guess so. <laughs> we just came up with another catchphrase. Yeah, it's that's like a right. Catchphrase factory. That's right. Yeah. I well, it's it's all part of the uh, the the growing and developing Rosebro uh, uh, theological lexicon. So that's right. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. well, next time I, I I hear your show, which will probably be very soon, I, I want to hear you use theological diarrhea. I just think that's the best one, <laughs> besides the ones you use on a regular basis. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I was laughing my head off. I'm telling you, <laughs> you said it like one time, and I just kept thinking about it. the rest of the day. I kept laughing. So when it came time to put the lexicon together, I, I added it thinking, I don't even know if Chris used this more than once, but he's going to if I can – I can have a say in the matter. Right. So, yeah, this will be the episode that everyone remembers. Yeah, that's the one where Kozar was really trying to tell Chris, you got to keep using that term, uh, theological diarrhea. Yeah, I kind of spoiled it now, didn't I? <laughs> if you do use it, everyone's going to go, well, he's only doing that because another yeah. Kozar guy told him to. It's exactly. Not yeah, you know, but I, I okay. now that you've brought it back to the front of my mind, if I if I experience it during a sermon or a segment that I'm reviewing, just let it happen organically. Yeah, <laughs> organic theological diarrhea. Just let it out. <laughs> oh, Kozar. <laughs> okay. This is where the editing software might become useful. <laughs> yeah, thankfully I know how to do audio editing and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you for your contribution. People can find the Museum of Idolatry by going to piratechristian.com and uh, on the uh, it's in the blog links. Click on uh, the blog links and click on Museum of Idolatry, or go to a littleleven.com. That should that URL should be working within the next uh, day or so, and uh, and uh, in you can see the uh, the edgy orthodoxy theological train wreck of uh, of uh, realism <laughs> that. Uh, that Stephen Kozar is uh, now putting together for us. And uh, again, thank you, Stephen. And uh, My Lord, pleasure. Lord's grace, mercy, and peace to you as you embark on this this new thing in your uh, in your vocational endeavors. Aye, aye, Captain, and amen. Amen. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to listen to an Alex Kendrick speech thingy and listen to his theology. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
On January 2nd, college students and young adults are invited to Concordia University, Chicago for an evening drinking from the fire hose of the gospel. This Higher Things Lutheran Unconference starts and ends with worship. In between, seven incredible Lutheran pastors will speak for just 20 minutes each. Dinner will be provided with a Q&A session. Registration is just $100 per person. For more information, go to higherthings.org. Fighting for the Faith. This is normally our sermon review time, although we're really far into hour two. So this isn't actually a sermon. This is more of a, a lecture given at a you know a special event, but it'll help us get something of a radar fix on the theology of the, the men who are responsible for you know war room and movies like that. But let's do this right. Bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is not really a sermon, but it is a speech given by Alex Kendrick of Kendrick Brothers fame at the Celebration of Life com- co- uh, conference or concert that was held at Hickory Grove Baptist Church in the Carolinas. And so he's not going to be handling scripture, but he will be talking about what he calls the three battles. And this will give us an idea of his theology and, well, maybe the theology behind the movies put out by these gentlemen, particularly Facing the Giants, Fireproof, The War Room, you know, courageous, things like that. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Alex Kendrick in his speech entitled The Three Battles. Here we go. We are very excited to see you tonight. So thank you for coming. There's 2,700 people in here. So we want to thank you for coming. And I hope, I hope you pleased you didn't just come to see the afters or Francesca as awesome as they are, or me for that matter, but that you came hopeful to see the Lord do something. And we believe he's going to do something tonight. Um, we, we, uh, I'm going I'm to spend about 10 minutes and I'm going to fly through our journey of what in the world a small church in Albany, Georgia is doing, making Christian films and what the Lord taught us along the way. And then I'm, I'm going to share with you something that the Lord taught me that radically changed my life. And I began to understand the battles that we're in in the church today. And if you will stay tuned with me, I promise the Lord will give you something as well. 2002, I find an a, uh, article from George Barna. He had done a national survey saying that movies, television, and the Internet were the three most influential factors in our culture. I took it to my pastor, Michael Catt, and I said, what would you think if we made a low-budget film in Albany, Georgia, for our community? That was the extent of my vision. He said, do you know how to make a feature film? I said, No. But I wanted to do it so bad. I love- That was the extent of my vision. Got the vision talk down. Check. 
telling stories and things like that. He said, well, Alex, how are you going to do that? And I'm, well, I began praying. The Lord gave me this, this small little concept for a plot called Flywheel. It- the Lord gave me direct revelation talk here from Alex Kendrick. Hmm. It's meant for our community. We used all volunteers. $20,000 was given to the project. We fumbled our way through it, and I promise, making movies is hard, and I didn't know what I was doing. For example, I remember shooting a scene on a Friday afternoon. When it got too dark to finish the scene, we went home that weekend, came back on Monday, and some of our actors had gotten haircuts, which you can't do. So when we finish the scene, if you look quick, there's one scene that their hair goes, whoop, halfway through the scene. I forgot what I was wearing, and I was thinking, what was I wearing in that scene? Because if your clothes can't change halfway through a scene. So I realized, man, we need a lot of management to finish this thing. So we finished Flywheel. I wanted to get it in our one local theater, my brother Stephen, to help me produce it. So we just fumbled our way through it. And I was like, Lord, help us gain the knowledge to do this better next time. And we begged God for favor with our local theater. The theater manager, 16 screens, said, you can have one screen. We were so thankful the Lord opened that one screen. And we took our video projector and put it up in the window, the behind the thing, hooked up our DVD player. That's how we did Flywheel in one theater. I was elated. We were in a theater. We're going to see the movie we made. $20,000 production. And he gave us one weekend. We didn't have marketing. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to market a movie. We begged God for help. We got our team to pray in unity. We stood together in unity. No one's being paid for this thing. It was all- we got our team to pray in unity? Hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah that just leaves a weird taste in my mouth free. All the the money went to equipment and the Lord sent the news, radio, newspaper, television station. They started doing news stories about a local church that did a feature film in our local theater. Opening night, it sells out. Next night, sells out. Next night, it says, now here's the deal. People didn't come to see how good it would be. They came to see how bad it would be because it was a local movie, right? But they came. And God did something I didn't expect. A lot of people left crying saying, I just saw myself on the screen. And I saw my own lack of integrity and my need for the Lord to work in my life. This story about a used car sale. Okay, now this is where, you know, I've listened to this before. And you're going to notice that he rides heavy on the law and obedience and forgiveness of sins he knows it and he mentions it it gets it gets brought up but it doesn't end up really being the predominant thing in his theology so he's direct revelation from god heavy on the law okay if you haven't seen flywheel simple story used car salesman goes to the largest church in the city to be seen deceives a local pastor He rips off the pastor thinking he got a good deal. But before the pastor leaves with his car, he says, Jay, the car sells me. He says, Jay, can I pray for you? He says, sure, go ahead. And he prays, God, I thank you for the good deal that Jay gave me. And I pray that you treat him the way he treated me. (laughs) It sends him down a path where he realizes, I don't like the person I've become. I'm playing Christian, but I'm not a real Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. He's not Lord of my life. So Flywell is about lordship. That, That movie... Huh. It's about lordship. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I said, really heavy on the law. 
the first week in the theater, the theater manager came back and said, of our 16 screens, you guys are the second highest grossing movie. He kept us a second week and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. We spent 20,000 making it. We got 37,000 back. We said, what are we going to do with this money? So we started making DVDs and we kept making DVDs, pouring the money back into more DVDs. And soon we had sold, I kid you not, 100,000 DVDs out of our church. But the response, the response overwhelmed us. That doesn't exactly get me excited. Um, the reason why is that's not really why the church exists. Yeah, the commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. So we got a little bit of a uh, mixing here of church and an entertainment project. If you've seen Flywheel, I totally admit we didn't know what we were doing. Acting's not that great. It's a really low price. I got it. I know. But the Lord did something we did not expect. We started praying for another idea. Oh, by the way, people started coming to our church saying that accepting Christ as a result of this movie, businessmen and you. Accepting Christ. Uh, little Pelagian Arminian thing going on there. Car dealers. It was amazing. So, so. The pastor said, Alex, this has had a bigger ministry impact than I ever expected. What are you going to do? They started funneling the money into ministry, ministry, ministry. We started praying for another idea, and the Lord said, tell a story about facing fear with faith. That became Facing the Giants. The Lord said to do that? $1,000 movie. Again, all volunteers, nobody was paid except for the equipment and a few people to run the equipment. We got in professionals this time. Shot it in high definition. It was amazing, high definition. So... And I'm thinking, this time, God, I'm asking for something that's going to be even difficult for you. I want to cover the state of Georgia in theaters, like 40 theaters. I'm such a goober. And so we, we show it to a bunch of movie studios, 20th Century Fox and Disney and some other people. And they said, hey, we're impressed with what you did with, with $100,000. We're not going to release it. There's no recognizable stars in this thing. There's a lot of Jesus in there. I was devastated. I went back and I said, we don't, we don't have a theatrical release. I made the mistake of jumping ahead of God. We started praying in unity again. This is key, guys. When we started, started praying in unity again. Praying in unity for God to do whatever he wants to do. We sent a copy of the movie to Provident Music Group in Nashville to get permission for some music. And Provident got it, watched the movie, and called us and said, guys, not only can you use some music, we're going to send this to our parent company for theatrical distribution. We said, who's your parent company? And they said, Sony. The one door we did not knock on. You see, guys, when I was in my own strength, knocking on all these movie studio doors, they looked at it and said, no, no, no. But see, God said, all right, Alex, if you're going to jump ahead of me, you go ahead. I've got the answer. God, God said that? And what do you mean by doing it in your own strength? What does that phrase even mean here? Right here. So when we got distribution for Facing the Giants, I had nothing to do with it. Sony said, we're going to put this not in 40 theaters, Alex. We're going to put this in 400 to cover North America. I fell out of my chair. I was so excited. So it came out in 2006. It didn't do 5 million like they thought. It did 10 million, sold 2.5 million DVDs. And I'm thinking, only the Lord could do this. And again, some yeah, there's lots of movies that make a lot more than $10 million uh, that the Lord has nothing to do with. Mm. You were saying, okay, it was an okay movie, but some of the acting, so man, I got it. I got it, but we're learning. 
So we start praying more, and we're praying in unity, and our church got together and said, this is the Lord. We're praying in unity. Uh, what is that? We're not building stars. We're telling stories to change lives. And again, the, the amount of response we got from Facing the Giants was more than we could. We're telling stories to change lives? Is that the same as being brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? Read or process. It came in by the thousands, letters, emails, visits from people. But I saw what the Lord was doing. That movie and Flower are now in 56 countries around the world. So anyway, we start praying again. We laid the groundwork in prayer, prayed in unity as a church. Unity. Prayed in unity. Uh-huh. Corporately, we wrote the movie uh, Fireproof. I get a phone call from Kirk Cameron out of the blue, right? Yeah. Kirk Cameron, you saw him in Growing Pains years ago. He's done several more movies. He calls and goes, man, I love these films. Is there any way I can help you with your next film? I said, yeah, once you fly to Georgia and audition for our next movie. <laughs> right? He says, okay, and he does. And you can imagine all our church volunteers the day we did auditions and they're all standing in line and one guy turns around and there's Kirk. Oh, great. And Kirk, listen, we put him through the ringer. We ask about his faith and his, and his marriage and everything because it's not important in us. The, the number one priority with us is not how good of an actor you are. And we do want good acting, how good of an actor. But, but can the Lord bless your work on this film? So we said, Kirk. What? Can the Lord bless your work on this film? So what? would Kirk be doing that would make it so the Lord can't bless the work on the film? What is this theology? Is there anything in your life that would prevent God from blessing your work on this movie? Is there any, I'm, have you committed the unforgivable sin? I mean, what, what, what is this? That I have never been asked that before. And he shared his testimony. Kirk loves the Lord, and he's growing in his faith. If you've seen Way of the Master or some of his recent, recent projects, he loves the Lord. He's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So he's in Fireproof, did a fantastic job. At the end of the movie, he said, um, rather than uh, you know kissing the actress, can I kiss my wife? So we flew her in. So he shot at silhouette. So that big smoochy scene at the end of the film, that's his wife that's playing that role. If you didn't know that, we loved it. God... Bless that movie. It did 33 million in the box office. It was the highest grossing independent movie of 2008. Yeah. That movie's in 75 countries around the world, and we've never stopped getting response from it. I got to tell you at least one response. There was a couple came to our church, started crying as soon as they walked in the door. They were so elated to be there, and we were like, man, what's the deal here? And they calmed down and they told us their story. They said, 27 years ago, we got married. Too young, didn't know what we were doing, didn't know the Lord. After a year of marriage, we divorced. Ended up on either side of the United States, one, one in the Carolinas, the other one in Washington State. So we never remarried. Two decades go by. Fireproof comes out. I end up seeing it in Washington. My wife ends up seeing it in the Carolinas. And I realize I never truly knew how to love her. And I wrote to her said, I need to apologize. I never, they both knew the Lord by this point. He said, I never truly knew how to love you. Would you forgive me for hurting you? She responds, she's amazed. And she says, yes, 
Would you forgive me? I saw the same movie. They ended up meeting, started a friendship, fell back in love, got remarried, and to to celebrate the one-year anniversary of their remarriage, they show back up and tell us their story. I'm thinking, praise God. Only the Lord can do this sort of thing. We start praying again. We start praying again. The Lord says, call men to courageous fathering, that men are the... So you started praying. Did, did God send you an email? Um, how did God tell you these things? Spiritual leaders of their home, and they got to take that, those reins and, and teach their children to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and not to abdicate that role and just give it over to the, your school or your youth pastor. Men, you've got to step up and take responsibility for the spiritual leadership of your home. And so many of us feel ineligible to do that. But that's the role that Lord's given to us. You will never be a perfect dad, but you are to love your children and love the Lord and teach them to do the same. So we made Courageous. Courageous was a very difficult movie to make. And so, again, this time, Sony's been great, but they were a little worried. They're like, man, you don't even have any stars in this one. Courageous did better than Fireproof, and I'm telling you, all over the world, it's in 75 countries, all over the world we're hearing stories. But i got to tell you about a few. 800 officers in Panama got together after seeing the movie and said, this is our new standard in their police departments. And, and so they... All right, so 800 um, police officers. They said that's their new standard. Is standard penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, or is it just applying a moral standard? See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So telling me that 800 police officers have decided to be moral, I mean, yeah, that's great, um, but that's temporal. I'm more concerned, are they going to be with us in you know, in the heavenly kingdom when Christ returns. You, you see what I'm saying there? They, said they did their own resolution ceremony, and they said in front of their spouses and their children, they said, this is our standard. This is what we're committing to in Panama, racked with, um, uh, you know, criminals, racked, racked with, um, you know, the, 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 the hypocrisy even among the police departments. Uh, corruption is what that's called. You've seen amazing things happen there. And then, as part of doing these films, I've been invited to speak all over the place. And one of the places I went to was Ecuador. When I went to Ecuador, and I'm going to come back to this story in a few minutes. I went to Ecuador. I got to preside, and I had a Spanish interpreter, over 1,500 officers and their families that stepped up in uniform to take the resolution. If you- to take the resolution. In taking the resolution, they were bending the knee and... Um, in penitent faith to Christ, asking him to forgive them of their sins. Yeah. Uh, were they baptized after they made the resolution? Why should I be excited about this? What I'm talking is I just sat there and wept. Unbelievable. The resolution, if you don't know what it is, is basically biblical principles, calling men to step up and take responsibility as the spiritual leader of their homes. Mm-hmm. Biblical principles. Huh? Right. Yeah, that's the problem with those biblical principles. Um, there there's, doesn't seem to be a definitive list of them. It's kind of whatever the uh, person who's handling the scripture uh, finds or you know reads into it. God's law is the Ten Commandments. I could point you to that. Um, biblical principles? Yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that. 
men step up and do that and say, I will be accountable to do this. And they even sign a document based on these biblical principles and they hang it in their homes. And we, yeah, the problem is, is that they're sinners and uh, how much you want to bet they're not going to keep their promise. Yeah, that's because that's what sinners do. They sin. Loved what the Lord was doing. So Courageous was a big hit. Started selling millions of DVDs as well. And so we funneled this money back into ministry. We started three new churches, an 82-acre sports park for the community, a homeless shelter. I I can't tell you how elated they were. We walked in the door and we said, how much is it going to take to fill every shelf with food for the homeless? And they were like, every shelf? And we said, yeah, let's do it. I love taking these resources and doing that for the Lord. But along the way, i got to go back to this Ecuador story. This is what I learned. So he was bragging on himself there. I spoke in Canada. I'm going to get to Ecuador. I spoke in Canada. And this is what I noticed in Canada. I'd never been to Canada before. But when I was there speaking, I noticed that half of their news was about what was going on in Canada. And the other 50% of their news was about everything going on in the U.S., Canada knows everything about the U.S. You and I know very little about Canada. We know everything about ourselves. I then went and spoke in Mexico, and I noticed half of the news in Mexico was about Mexico, while the other half of their news and entertainment and everything was about what was going on in the U.S. You and I know very little about what goes on in Mexico. Matter of fact, if I said, who's the number one guy in charge of Canada or Mexico, 99% of you couldn't tell me. But they all know who our leader is, or our president, our politics, our entertainment, our movie stars, our music, etc., etc. They all follow us. I then went to Israel, same thing. Then I ended up in Ecuador, same thing. And I got to talk to the number two guy over the entire 40 million peoples in Ecuador, the number two guy. And I was talking to him when I was speaking there to their police department, this resolution ceremony. He was there, he was excited. And I said, what are you guys dealing with here? And he said, well, right now, the main thing is what are we going to do about gay marriage? I said, wow, which way are you leaning? He said, we're still watching to see what America will do. And it hit me, guys. The world is watching us. And we're looking to ourselves. They compare themselves with us. We compare ourselves with ourselves. You and I don't care about what's going on around the world the way they care about what's going on in America. We are the lead dog right now. And therefore, the church in America is of utmost importance. Now, this is a valid point, and I agree, which is one of the reasons why it's so deplorable that the American evangelical church as a whole, as a movement, has gone off the theological rails and embraces and harbors and defends false teachers and all kinds of false doctrine and heterodox and heresy And and it's just nuts. You look at the church. What are we doing? What are we doing to influence our culture, to love the Lord, to seek him, to pray in unity? What is to love the Lord? Yes, that would require us to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We need to preach the message of the gospel and God will raise people from the dead and regenerate them. I don't want to influence the culture. I want to go and proclaim the gospel and God, the Holy Spirit will raise people to new life. And then our job is to disciple them in the faith. Church doing and sad to say, and I don't have to tell you, thank God for the church and thank God for the many things he's doing. But the church in America 
is not unified. Um, yeah, and that's because so many people have embraced false doctrine and teach just nonsense. We are divided a hundred different ways. Um, yeah, and that would require those who have departed from sound doctrine to repent and abandon their false theology and doctrine and return to historic biblical Orthodox Christianity. I'm talking about those that say Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for my sin, raised from the dead, and it's only through him that we can be saved. I'm talking about people that agree on the main thing. We are not in unity. Yeah, but as we demonstrate here at Fighting for the Faith day in and day out, somebody, you know, a church says, hey, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. That's different than actually preaching what the Son of God taught. You see, it's go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded. And there are so many churches that are in open rebellion to the very words of Jesus there in the Great Commission because they're not teaching what Jesus taught. They're not teaching anything that's even biblical. They're just making stuff up and slapping it on Jesus, blaming it on Jesus, but they're not preaching and teaching the truth. So saying that you have an allegiance to Jesus and not keeping and guarding his word, not preaching sound doctrine, not rebuking those who contradict it, it shows that um, you don't have any real allegiance to Jesus except for lip service allegiance. It's like, well, it's like the church in Laodicea. They read about it in the book of Revelation. And the Lord began to show me three battles. I'm going to talk about the these. Lord began to show me. So apparently Alex Kendrick... Um, is a prophet. And so this is direct, direct revelation from God himself. To question it is to question God. So follow me closely here. This is utmost importance. The first battlefield I'm going to talk about is the personal battlefield. This is where you are with the Lord. Your job, your family, your spouse, your children. You're either your private sin or hopefully your own healthy walk with the Lord. That's the per private sin or healthy walk with the Lord. Hmm. Again, it doesn't sound like he rightly understands how Christians need to hear the gospel. No battlefield. I'm in the personal battlefield and I'm responsible to walk with the Lord and seek. I'm responsible. I'm responsible. Uh -huh. Him and obey him. The second battlefield I want to talk. About yeah, the Christian life is one of daily repentance and receiving God's mercy and the forgiveness of sins. I know this from the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is a daily prayer. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the Christian is one who lives his life in repentance, trusting in the mercy and the forgiveness of God, and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. But, man, this is heavy, heavy, heavy on due. Very, very, very thin on done what Christ has done for us. The corporate battlefield, the corporate arena, is where we are as a local church and even as large as a city. Are we unified? Are we engaged? Are we praying together? Are we doing the work of the Lord corporately in our region? The third battlefield I want to talk about is the kingdom battlefield. The, the, the kingdom battlefield? I say kingdom battlefield, I'm talking about the heart of a nation. Where do we stand as the heart of a nation? Are we seeking the Lord? Are we getting closer to him or further away from him? 
Yeah, as the uh, church continues to abdicate its, its responsibility to make disciples and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and they're off praying circle maker prayers or slaying the seven mountains and things like that, um, and chasing after this experience and that experience and whatever, um, and oh, finding their dream destiny thing. Yeah, the, the culture is going to get worse and worse and worse. And the reason why is because everybody's born dead in trespasses and sins, and pagans do what pagans do. If you want pagans to bear the fruit of the Spirit, that would need, require them to actually be regenerated. And God is the one who does that through the preaching of his word. This right here is Satan's favorite playground. He wants the heart of our nation and every other nation. Yeah, where are you getting that theology from? Yeah, I, I'm not sure where you got that. So what's my battle? You see, if I'm stuck in the personal battlefield, and I've got private sin, and I refuse to get it right thinking it doesn't impact anybody else. But I have private sin, and I refuse to get it right? Y okay, yeah, okay, people sin. Christians sin. How do we deal with sin? I get it right or I repent and I'm forgiven and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance. See, this is, man, this is, like I said, really heavy on the law. I am ineligible to fight in the corporate battlefield. All right, so if you have private sin, how many of you didn't sin yesterday? Raise your hand. How many of you didn't sin the day before, last week, last month? Well, see, if you've got private sin, you're disqualified from, you know, these other battlefields. Uh-huh. Which text says that again? I've got to get right with the Lord, and most Christians are stuck. I've got to get right. Oh, man. Right here. Matter of fact, most sermons in churches deal with this battlefield. The enemy wants us stuck here. Because if I've got private sin, if I'm not seeking the Lord, if I'm just filling myself with the riches and pleasures of this world, I'm ineligible to fight as a unifying factor in my church. So as soon as you get your act together, then you're eligible to be a unifying factor out in the uh, community corporate battlefield. Uh-huh. And the Lord revealed this to him directly. Right. To pray together, to serve together, and to get back on the front lines. And therefore, if our churches are not... So where are the front lines in this theology? ...and fighting together locally and partnering, locking shields, we're not making a dent in the kingdom battlefield. And so we don't make a dent in the kingdom battlefield, which is the nation, unless we lock shields with everybody who just minimally says, Jesus is Lord. Right. Um, I don't find this theology anywhere in the scripture. Uh-huh. This might explain what we saw in the movie War Room. Therefore, Charlotte, we are losing the heart of America. Are you following me? You say, give me a word picture. Where are you getting this from scripture? I'm going to point to King David. King David, as a youth, fought the... Yeah, so now we're going to allegorize the story of King David, and you're going to pour theology into the story of David that's not there. So this is some form of eisegesis that he's engaging in here. Lion and the bear alone first before he fought Goliath corporately in front of the armies of the Philistines and Israelites. He defeated Goliath before he became king and led the nation to seek the Lord and defend the land. So you got to follow the David pattern, you know, 
fight the private battle first, and apparently he didn't need to fight private sin, so he fought a lion and a bear. And then you got to fight the corporate battle. I don't seem to recall uh, the rest of the army of Israel um, assisting with the whole David and Goliath thing. Yeah, they were all basically standing on the sidelines, peeing their pants. And um, and then, so once you are qualified in the corporate, then you can go to the heart of the nation battle thingy. Right. Yeah. This is not a biblical teaching. This is something very different than that. Follow me. Three battlefields. Where are we? Charlotte, where are we? Is Jesus Lord of America? Is he Lord of the church in America? So I'm thinking, Lord, I see the church fighting for unity, mainly stuck in the personal battlefield. And so many, even the men, the men, the men with private sin, unaware that they are ineligible. to Private sin, ineligible for the corporate battle field and the uh, kingdom battlefield. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Which of you can say you haven't sinned this week? Yeah, that's private sin. So you're disqualified. Better get off that corporate battlefield until you get you and you gotta, you gotta make yourself right. Yeah. Wow. Corporately in our cities, in our communities, and even in our churches, you know, as well as I do that many churches Men forget the fact that it's hard for them to partner with other churches in their area. They're having unity struggles in their own walls. Churches in our cities that all proclaim Jesus as Lord won't work together. They won't pray together. They're worried about stealing sheep or losing their tithes and offerings. Guys, if Jesus is Lord, he is the greatest unifying factor you could ever have. And if we get behind... Yeah, then do what the Lord said. Put away all that nasty false doctrine and traditions of men nonsense thing that you're teaching instead of God's word and his, and his doctrine. Banner of Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord over your tithes. Lord over your, your people. Lord over-, Lord over your tithes. Yeah, um, yeah the uh, New Covenant does not have a command to tithe. your attendance churches, and I love you pastors, and I love you churches. We desperately need you. We've got to lock shields, because when we do that... Yeah, I I won't be locking any shields with you, Alex. Not any time in the future that I can foresee. Start stepping out and getting our hands a little dirty, doing the work of the Lord, saying, I'm unafraid to do something even makes me uncomfortable. Lord, help me live for you to love you and to love others. Let me go where you love you, love others. That's the law. Yeah, you ain't going to fulfill that apart from the gospel and the forgiveness of sins. Me to go, I will obey, Lord. We do it in unity. We're going to obey in unity. But uniting with people who are teaching false doctrine is disobedience. That's not obedience. Do it in unity. We then start making a dent in the kingdom battlefield. The enemy does not want you here. He wants Christians out of this because he says... I will define what marriage is. I will define what morality is. I will define the standards of entertainment that you are filling your homes with. Yeah, if you want to make any kind of an impact on that, go and proclaim the gospel and and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Pagans cannot and do not bear the fruit of the Spirit. 
This is the enemy's battlefield. So I said, Lord, please use me, my brother, my church to get to that battlefield. So that means I got to get before the Lord with my marriage and my children and say, Lord, keep me clean, keep me clean. Keep me clean, keep me clean. We sin daily. How is it then are we cleaned? By the blood of Christ. Yeah, wow. And see, the thing is, you preach this stuff, it sounds so pious. But the problem is, there's a whole bunch of people sitting there going, sitting there going well, I guess I'm disqualified. Because uh, I didn't keep myself clean, and uh, if, if I asked the Lord to keep me clean, well, that, that, that cow left the barn a long time ago. How about the forgiveness of sins? Where even a prostitute is forgiven. A prostitute can proclaim the mercies of God because they've been forgiven. The qualification is not cleanness on your, you know, that you've mustered up on your own, that's self-righteousness. But the qualification is forgiveness of sins and pardon and grace and mercy. All you got to do is be forgiven and you can go and tell everybody where the forgiveness can be found. It's found in Christ. Acts 3.19 says, Return and repent that the Lord may wipe your sins away. You may experience... Yeah, so he knows the gospel here, yes. ...times in the presence of the Lord. Lord, refresh me and prepare me. Then we go to the, the corporate battlefield. Lord, help me be a unifying factor. My pastor's not a perfect man, but I pray for him. And I stand with other men in our church. And then as a church, we start standing with other churches. When we got to Courageous, we partnered with four other churches to make Courageous. It was awesome. White churches, black churches, et cetera, et cetera. We said, come help us. Come pray with us. Come serve with us. It was incredible. And I saw unity, and the Lord blesses unity. So when we started doing that, saying our worship styles may be different, we may disagree on secondary issues. Guys, oh, I can't talk to him. He's pre-trib. And he's post-trib, and I'm and I'm I'm mid-trib. We're gonna find out at the same time anyway. It doesn't matter, it's a secondary issue. Keep the main thing, the main thing. That is Jesus is Lord, and it's the cross, and it's the blood that saves us. Right, that's true. And so, like I said, he's he understands the gospel. But we have a mixing of law and gospel that comes out super heavy-handed on the law with just a little mention of the forgiveness of sins, with a, a super emphasis on disqualification if you don't keep yourself clean. Uh-huh. And unity with just a, you know, only the only thing that matters is they say Jesus is Lord. Well, T.D. Jakes says Jesus is Lord, but he denies the doctrine of the Trinity. Hmm. That's where we're unified. You want to raise hands in your church? Do it. You want to clap? Do it. You want to keep them by your side because your church is a reverence church? Do it. But don't knock the others that are saying Jesus is Lord and proclaiming him as the answer. Yeah, unfortunately, the ones that, you know, so many churches that claim Jesus is Lord and that he is the answer aren't actually preaching him. They're preaching themselves and their dream destiny doctrines and nonsense like that. Pray together. We've got to have pastors and churches praying together. And we've got to have churches unified saying, what will it take to lower the deaths in Charlotte? What will it take to lower the deaths in Charlotte? What? 
1,500 churches in Charlotte. Per capita is the most churches of any other area in the United States, Charlotte. 1,300 churches here. There should be no issue with these ditches that are taking human life. When you and I join together and we pray and we call on the name of the Lord and we say, we'll get our hands dirty. We'll, we'll, we'll help the ministries out here, these booths out here that are saying, we're ready to go. Fuel us. Pray for us. Join us. So two years ago, I came out and I said, I'll go to the front lines. I'll go pray. I'll go praise. I'll go minister. And I did. And I saw things I've never seen before. Praise God. Lord, shake me up. If you need to shake me up, we're going again tomorrow. Come join us. You say, you sound like you're recruiting us. You betcha. I need the church that loves Jesus to get their hands dirty and do something that they're not comfortable doing. Because guys, think about this. You weren't called to comfort. You were called to love the Lord and serve him. So come join us. And guys, victories don't happen by accident. We need you in the war. A war to share the love of Jesus Christ. The war is to stand against the enemy and bring truth and love. Because the person behind truth and love is Jesus Christ. Right, which is why sound doctrine matters. It's truth and love, not one or the other. I'm not just giving you a plan and saying we're going to call them to a plan. We're not even calling them necessarily to a deeper purpose in and of itself. That's all part of a greater thing. We're calling them to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He is the engine that drives everything we're doing. So tonight, I'm going to ask you, is it true that if my people are called by my name, Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, that's an Old Testament verse that is perfectly applicable to New Testament today. Yeah, ripped out of context here. Yeah, this is in the context of the nation state of Israel and the theocracy of Israel. We got a problem here because just saying the church, you know, so, you know, basically saying, if my people who are called by my name, yeah, Christianity doesn't have a nation. The United States is not Israel. Mm-hmm. People are called by my name, and you and I will humble ourselves and pray in unity and seek his... In unity, all this unity stuff. And turn from our wicked ways, and that may be we just want to ignore something that's very important to God but uncomfortable for us. We come together and we pray and we seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. He will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sin and heal our land. And there is too much death in a city that has 1,300 churches. There's too much death in any city. So we're saying, God, do something awesome. So bless the afters, bless Francesca, bless cities for life. But we need your prayers. We need your unity. Saying we're going to set aside every secondary issues and we're coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ. And we'll come, we'll pray, we'll support, we'll give, we'll serve. Whatever the Lord prompts you to do, do it. Do it and let the Lord shake you up, but then watch what he does beyond your own strength. Joe's going to come back up in a minute, but that's my message tonight. I beg you, if you're stuck in the personal battlefield and you know what it is, and if you ask the Lord, he will show you. Every time I ask the Lord, is there anything in my heart or life that you're displeased with? Boom, right there, Alex. Right there. 
And I get that right. It frees me up to re-engage in the corporate battle with my... Yeah, so if you're doing something to displease the Lord, you're disqualified from the corporate battle. Again, weird theology. Where is he getting this? ...church, my local community, and say, Lord, speak speak to me and use me and prep me for greater service. When we get together, you get that momentum going and you're praying together, and especially when you're in unity, he does amazing things. So every time I look at the... When you're in unity response to our films i see that unity and i see staying right with god and now we're getting from 75 different countries all sorts of response so, so because they have 75 countries that have seen their mo- that that means it has to be from god right no it it doesn't actually it doesn't mean that at all wow I'm a dad again. I got together with my wife. I asked him to forgive me. I'm operating my business with integrity now as before the Lord. Praise God and all glory goes to him. We need you, Charlotte. Would you pray with me? Nope. Won't do that. Not sure what we got there. So there you go. That's kind of a peek at the theology of Alex Kendrick, of the Kendrick brothers. And it's it's problematic. Um, direct revelation from the Lord, unity for the sake of unity, uh, despite doctrine. Now, I understand he emphasized secondary issues, but the problem is, uh, you know, church I serve could not join or partner with, you know, like Elevation Church, if Elevation had a multi-site campus out here in North Dakota. Uh, we couldn't, we could not join up with them because they are, are like literally against sound doctrine and uh, what they're doing there is not promoting the gospel; it's promoting Stephen Furtick. Um, so, and then you know, so we got the direct revelation thing. This this theology that says uh, personal, private sins, which is the one battlefield, disqualifies you from participation in the second. And wow, and just super heavy-handed on the law with wisps. I mean, yeah, there's wisps in there of of like NAR kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, um, I'm just not on board with it at all. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at higher christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you the grace and mercy won by jesus christ is by death on the cross for all of your sins amen